are on air for Fan for Racing Radio and our NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. And we're going to start in the first half hour talking about uh, some short track news, and uh, then we'll get into the Arkham Menards East that is racing at Pensacola, Florida, Five Flags Speedway this weekend. Uh, at 9 o'clock, joining us will be Christian Rose. I believe he's racing in that event, and uh, he'll help us preview that race. Uh, then at 9.15, we'll get into the Truck Series race at Atlanta, and at 9.30, it is the Xfinity, and then the Cup Series preview also at Atlanta Motor Speedway. At 10 o'clock is our NASA Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. And joining me for tonight's show right now is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Might be one of the most exciting weekends, unknown weekends we've had. Daytona Talladega, we always consider the unknown what can happen. We don't know what what Atlanta is going to be like, so I think this is a huge weekend for the sport of NASCAR. It really is. Uh, the notebooks are really of no use this weekend uh, at Atlanta Motor Speedway. They've got a new car that they're racing there for the first time on a newly paved and reconfigured Atlanta Motor Speedway. So uh, drivers just don't know what to expect this weekend and uh, that's part of what's going to make it interesting uh, but it's also a little bit scary I'm sure for some of these drivers uh, I'm, I'm sure everybody's going to adapt to it and do well but uh, there, there is that factor of the unknown going into this weekend okay but let's get started with the short track racing because we do have some short track racing uh, this weekend, last week, uh, Monday, we talked about how uh, Ty Majeski won uh, the Rattler 250 uh, last weekend. And uh, this week, we've got uh, several races uh, to look forward to uh, coming up in the next week or so. Yeah, I know we got the uh, Easter Bunny, uh, is that we got the pass, uh, Pro. Uh, now I don't remember what it stands for. Uh, Super Late Model Series. Uh, right. I'll have to pull that back up. But they're going to be making the trip to uh, Hickory. Yes. Yes, that's coming up in April, which is really going to be cool. Uh, but coming up this weekend, uh, Jay, is uh, we talked about the Arkham Art Series racing this weekend at Five Flight Speedway. Uh, but there's going to be some other racing that's going to take place there as well. Um featuring the Faith Chapel Outlaws, the Dock Sportsman, and the Lloyd's Glass Pure Stock. It'll be the first night of the season for the three local classes and staple divisions at the Speedway, including the Arkham and Art Series East uh, that is also racing there on, uh, let me look at my book here again. Uh, they are going to, I've got, I'm into my April calendar. I need to go back to March here. They're going to be racing on Saturday, PM Central, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Uh, but it's not just the Arkham and Art Series that's taking place there this weekend. There's a whole lot of racing taking place in Pensacola, Florida, by Flight Speedway. Well, and we saw this at New Smyrna, the classes, local classes that run weekly at your tracks. 
you know, is really what uh, does make the track. And then to be able to bring in a combination event with the Arca Menards E-Series, like we saw it, uh, maybe not to the level that we saw at New Smyrna with the uh, World Series of Asphalt, but a great show over the weekend there at Five Flags Speedway. Again, obviously known for the Snowball Derby, but they got weekly racing and some great classes there. I've seen the Outlaws run. Yes, yes. So, you know, if you're an Outlaws fan, that's uh, that's uh, going to be happening this weekend at Pensacola, Florida. Uh, and, you know, it does make it an event, if you will, because you're you're getting a lot of money or a lot of value for the money that you're spending uh, with all of the events that are taking place there over the weekend. So that's one track that uh, I wanted to earmark for everybody uh, for this coming weekend. Uh, if you're out in that area, you definitely want to get out there to Five Flags Speedway. Uh, and you remember Brittany Zamora? She raced in the uh, Arkham and Art Series last year, I think, with uh, Bill McAnally Racing. She's going to be joining Racing America's broadcast for that Easter Bunny 150 weekend at Hickory Motor Speedway. Actually, I guess that's this weekend as well. Yeah, and we saw a couple of names. I know uh, William Byron's going to be there, but to see uh, Zamora join the uh, broadcast team, I like to see that. Uh, We talked about this with several drivers of that staying involved and no matter what and expanding beyond maybe the comfort zone. I don't know what her comfort level with that is, but uh, no better way to step out than to to go up in the booth. I know several drivers have talked about that as they've done it. Uh, It's certainly a different perspective, uh, what you can learn and what you can bring to the sport if you're not behind the wheel. Exactly. Uh, And, and Brittany, I think will do a nice job on the, uh, calling, you know, being there and joining that broadcast team at uh, Hickory Motor Speedway for this uh, Easter Bunny 150. So very cool to hear that. Who are some of the other names you saw on that uh, entry list, Jay? Well, I was looking for a full, I never found a full entry list, but uh, I know that Racing America has it up talking about uh, William Byron will be there and then also Eddie McDonald for the first time. Ah, okay, very cool. So it's a new strategy, I guess, for Indic Motorsports this year. They're really encouraging their drivers to get out to the short tracks and to be racing and getting more experience on the track. And uh, I think that's awesome to see William Byron out there racing at Hickory Motor Speedway uh, this coming weekend. Yeah, another area, always uh, racing going on. Uh, the Hickory, one of those historic tracks. You know, If you have that opportunity to go to that track for any reason at any time, I would not pass that up. Yes, and looking ahead to Slinger Nationals, we were all excited that uh, uh, Derek Thorne is going to be racing at the Slinger Nationals this year. Well, it was also announced that Matt Kenseth is going to be racing at the Slinger Nationals. Uh, that's not until July the 12th, but just some advance notice, there are going to be some pretty big names out there at the Slinger National. Of course, it's in Wisconsin. That's where uh, uh, Matt Kenseth is from. And uh, it's really cool because you've got drivers like uh, Derek Thorne traveling from the West Coast to be out here and race in the Slinger 
national race at Swinger Speedway. And as we get closer to that one and talk about it more and more, I think you're going to see some other names. I know Sodders are always uh, greatly involved in that back in their, uh, I don't know if it's hometown, but area uh, coming from Wisconsin. Definitely their home state. Yeah, I know uh, Kyle Busch has participated in that one. We'll have to see if his name pops up. But that is one of those. You're going to see some, some big, heavy names, as well as then you mentioned drivers coming from even the West Coast like Derek Thorne. Yes, and uh, that's one to put in your calendar now, July the 12th, for the Slinger National Races that are taking place. Um, Let's see. We talked about uh, two of the big ones. Uh, They also have some uh, Throwback Thursday uh, stuff out there. Here's some racing memories from St. Patrick's Day of the past. Uh, and I thought this was kind of cool as well because they feature um, the 1915 AAA Champ Car at Venice Road Race Course in 1957, uh, and then also the 1957 NASCAR Convertible Series at Greensboro Fairgrounds back in 1984. Uh, and there's just a whole list of them. Um, the 1984 Georgia ARCA 150 at Atlanta Motor Speedway, uh, the 1995 Shamrock 100 at Cleveland Speedway, the 1996 ADTRA Have a Tampa Series at Cherokee Speedway in 1996, um, the 2001 Jackaroo Sauces 250 at St. Augustine Speedway, and the 2007 Fast Star Goodyear Challenge Series at New Smyrna Speedway. So uh, a, me- a trip down memory lane right there, Jay. And, and that's one of those that, you know, a lot of times as we've grown now and putting this focus on short track racing, if you're not from the particular area where those races are being held, you know, you don't really get to know them. But uh, as we see many different avenues now covering short track racing, we talk about Racing America, Flow Racing. Everybody is getting to experience these and understand the history and some of the that have been to these races, came up um, from these areas, that, that that was their home track. So that's what I really like to see now is the exposure that these races are getting nationwide, not just in their region. Exactly, exactly. And that's, uh, that's why we're, we're talking a little bit more about this grassroots racing this year at Panther Racing Radio because uh, we know that a lot of fans have been kind of fighting at the bit for this kind of coverage. And uh, we just want people to know there is a lot going on. And if you go to Racing America, you'll see a lot there. But also at Flow Sport Racing, they do a lot of interviews and, and different things with uh, different drivers. Uh, leading up to a lot of the races uh, that are taking place um, in short track countries here. Um, Today, March 17th, let's see, uh, March 17th through the 20th, there's the 2022 Texas 2K22 at Houston Raceway Park. You'll be able to watch that on Flow Racing. Tomorrow on the 18th, they have the more racing at Houston Raceway Park. And then you've got the 2022 NMCA Muscle Car Mayhem. That's going to be on Flow Sports. Uh, 
the Amsoil Snowcross National, the IMCA Spring Nationals at Beatrice uh, Speedway from the 18th to the 19th. You've got the 2022 Race Rundine Foundation Race at Port City Raceway, the Lucas Oil ASCS at Devil's Bowl Speedway. That's uh, the 18th to the 19th. The Southern All-Star Series at Southern Raceway and the Stock Car Teams Racing at Beachland Speedway on March the 18th. And then there's even more if you look at uh, the 19th. A lot of those races continue into a second day. But looking at some of the new ones uh, that I didn't mention before, uh, you've got the Super Track, Short Track Super Series at Sullins Grove Speedway, uh, the Smart Lucky Charms 99 at Southern National Motorsports Park, the Season Opener at South Boston Speedway on the 19th, the ULMS Late Models at Port Royal Speedway on the 19th. All of these are on the 19th. The Weekly Racing at Florence Motor Speedway. Uh, the OBSCA Sprints at Atomic Speedway. The Weekly Racing at Lincoln Speedway. The Arkham and Art Series at Five Flags Speedway will also be televised on um, Flow Sport Racing. And then the Weekly Racing at Placerville Speedway. All taking place. Uh, and can be seen on Flow Sport Racing. Well, and I know that they're going to talk about that advantage of uh, right now, uh, and I specifically know with my, my dad, you know, can't get out to a track yet. They normally try and start April, mid-April, and then go through the weather issue. That's where we're at right now in the south. Water racing scheduled. Hopefully the weather uh, holds out and everybody gets to enjoy racing. You heard it from dirt to asphalt from modifieds to trucks to sprint cars to late models, whatever it is that you enjoy, go out and find it. Because it's definitely out there. Okay, now we're going to move on to the Arkham Menard Series here. And uh, with the Arkham Menard Series, um, okay, with the Arkham Menard Series uh, tonight, it looks like um, uh, the only race we'll be talking about is the race for the Arca East, the Pensacola 200, on March the 19th. Uh, the next race for the Arca Menard Series, well, the next race, actually, is going to be the Arca West. That's the Napa Auto Parts 150 presented by West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame on March 26th at 7 p.m. p.m. our time, and that's at Irwindale Speedway. That will be on Flow Sport Racing uh, that weekend. Then the next race is April 23rd at Talladega Super Speedway, the General Tire 200, uh, and that will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So a lot to look forward to there. The next uh, Sioux Chief Showdown race is going to be at Iowa Speedway on June the 11th, 8 p.m. Central. That's 9 p.m. West Eastern. Uh, and uh, that's at Iowa Speedway, and it will be televised on Mass TV. But tonight, we're going to spend most of our time talking about that race, the Pensacola 200, taking place this weekend at uh, Pensacola, Florida's Five Flag Speedway. 
Well, I mentioned mentioned a couple of the ones in Carolina. Five Flags, uh, fortunately, one I have been able to visit, and I would highly recommend to anybody. Again, if you can go to the Snowball Derby, their big event uh, of the year. But even we- weekly racing action, or in this case, get to go down for a weekend with the Arkham Menard Series, uh, a great track to visit no matter when you get to go. No doubt. Now, the the race is going to take place. The Pensacola 200 will take place Saturday, March the 19th. At 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern, it will have a tape delay uh, broadcast on USA on March the 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. But you'll be able to watch the live streaming of this race on Flow Racing. Also, there's radio coverage available at ArcaRacing.com. They also have Race Central there where they keep you up to date with what's happening at the track. The track layout is a half-mile paved oval. They'll be racing 200 laps. Uh, and Saturday, they will have a practice at 2 p.m. Central. That's local time, p.m. in the race at 7 p.m. And that is available on Flow Racing. Well, and looking at, looking at the Arkham and Ard Series uh, homepage there, you can check out some articles, too, about some of the drivers that are going to be there and the history of Five Flags uh, Speedway, especially here for this Pensacola 200. So go to that Arkham Menards homepage. Okay. After uh, kicking off the uh, Arca East last month of Florida's New Sperma Speedway, competitors are now heading back to the Sunshine State for round two, Saturday night at Five Flags. Again, it's a half-mile paved oval in Pensacola, Florida, and Saturday's race is the third time Five Flags has hosted the East Series. The track has also hosted the Arkham Menard Series six times, including most recently in 2019 when Michael Self visited Victory Lane. Tickets are still available, so uh, if you want to go, now's the time to get your ticket for that. Uh, Sammy Smith is the defending East Series champion, and he's returning to Five Flags to defend his victory from one season ago. Last year, he dominated the 200-lap event, leading 145 laps on his way to his first victory of the season for Joe Gibbs Racing. Smith this year is driving for Kyle Busch Motorsports, which acquired the ARCA program previously owned by JGR. Uh, He opened the season... Well, of course, on a strong note, he won that race on February 15th at the Smyrna Speedway and finished third last Friday out at Phoenix. It's going to be some of the competition this week. Well, you'd have to think his chief competition for Saturday's race is expected to come from Taylor Gray, who turned tragedy into triumph Friday, uh, this past Friday with that victory in the General Tire 150 out at Phoenix. Gray will once again pilot the number 17 David Gillen Racing Ford. Uh, He led 53 laps at Five Flags last year and was the only driver besides Smith to take a turn at the front in that field for that event. And I mentioned an article at the Arkham Menards homepage. Another notable entry is debuting 16-year-old Jake Finch, and he's the son of former NASCAR Cup Series and Xfinity Series team owner James Finch. Now, the younger Finch has been making a name for himself in the Southeast racing late models 
and captured that Outlaw Division Track Championship at Five Flags last year. So there again, that's where you see some of these guys, before they're well-known, you could see them running these local divisions. That, uh, absolutely. This is uh, the place to see them before they come, become uh, superstars in NASCAR. Also making an E-Series debut is Ashton Higgins, who previously raced a late model for GMS Racing. And other familiar names that will be in action Saturday include Willie Mullins, uh, Donald Teague, uh, Leland Honeyman, and Kristen Rose, our guest coming up here at 9 o'clock. Uh, Eastern Time. So uh, who are some of the other names on that entry list that we should be aware of, Jay? Well, I was going to say, if you, if you aren't familiar with some of these, you have that opportunity. You mentioned Christian Rowe is going to come up here in about 10 minutes or so. So um, going down the rest of the entry list, uh, Benny Chastain is going to be in a Hillenburg machine. Um Let's see, Brad Smith will be in the uh, cell phone number 48. Stephanie Moyer uh, will be in a Hillenburg Toyota. Mentioned that one, Nate Moeller, driving for Wayne Peterson. Brandon Varney is going to be driving for the McClure team, the number 44. I think we're oh, there the, the other Hillenburg machine we see it, one one of everything that the Hillenburgs uh driving the Chevrolet that'll be Tim Monroe up there from in Illinois Elmwood Illinois mm-hmm. driver and then Taylor Gray who won last week at Phoenix he's going to be in this race as well yeah I think you're right I think that that'll be a good matchup uh it'll be interesting to see uh Jake Finch's uh debut there I was reading a little bit of that article uh, the name and sponsored by Phoenix Construction. I'd put two to two together before I read the article, but uh, again, son of James Finch. You've also got Daniel Estado coming from Leon, Mexico, that's going to be racing. Uh, his crew chief, I believe, no, the team owner is actually, let me get back lined up here, Josh Williams. His crew chief is going to be John Holmes. So that's going to be interesting as well. A little international aspect to this. Well, we always always love to see that. And you mentioned it. Uh, some of the names that we see as crew chiefs, you're right, uh, play a big role here in the Arkham Menards East and Main Arkham Menards series. Uh, Chad Johnston being one on the box for Taylor Gray, we've talked about. Uh, and we'll talk about one of the team owners. Uh, trying to look to see here if he's listed as Nope, Sean Samuels is the crew chief for uh, Christian Rose. The team owner, Bruce Cook, uh, we'll talk to Christian Rose about that here in a couple minutes. Yes, indeed. Uh, Steve Austin from Washington, North Carolina, is also going to be racing the number 22 this weekend uh, with Jeremy Petty on top of his pit box. Um, So there's just how many? I didn't really count yet, but that's two, four, six, eight. 10, 12, 14, 16 drivers entered in this race. Uh, they had 39, to put this in perspective, there were 39 entries or 40 entries at Phoenix. I think 39 actually raced. Yeah, for the East Series here, I was looking at that. Oh, go ahead. And that was at Phoenix last week. 
Right, for that combination, combination, I'm sorry, combination event of uh, Arkham Menards, the Westers, and then a part of the Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, looking here, too, though, you're talking about nine different states from what I counted that are represented, as well as three different countries. Uh, Quebec, Canada driver Daniel yes. Thieg, uh, if I'm Donald. pronouncing that right. Don, I'm sorry, Donald Thieg. Um, I was trying to make sure I got the last name right and I totally missed the first name, but coming from Quebec, Canada. So there again, three different countries, nine different states ranging from Ohio, Carolina, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Florida, uh, multiple from Florida, uh, Michigan, West Virginia. Uh, that's our guest tonight. And then uh, Iowa and Illinois were the other two that uh, I saw. Absolutely, and and even some Florida folks there uh, that are going to be taking part in this race. Um, so I, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this. Uh, they had their first race in New Smyrna in February. This is going to be the second race uh, for the Arkham and Art Series East, and uh, uh, there is a very nice feature on Jake Finch, as uh, Jay mentioned a little bit earlier, over at uh, ArcaRacing.com. Uh, let's go to the track profile and just kind of give some details there, because uh, Five Five Flag Speedway is known for doing the Snowball Derby. Uh, it's a track that a lot of people uh, know about because of that Snowball Derby. Uh, but we mentioned that Michael Self won there in the Arkham Art Series race in 2019. And I remember Michael telling us that he wasn't a short track racer, and then he went out and won that race. Uh, and we kind of razzed him about it a little bit. Uh, so it's a well-known track with a long history in the Arkham Arts and Canon Pro Series. Well, and, and I got to say thank you here, Sharon. Uh, you, you've mentioned that a couple of times, Michael Self uh, picking up that victory in 2019. I actually got to talk to him in victory lane as I was there for part, as part of Fan for Racing, uh, one of my couple visits to Five Flag Speedway. So I wanted to say thank you for that because uh, that was mm -hmm. the, one of the, the one event I was there for that year. Hey, that, that's pretty cool. That is really cool. Uh, it actually opened in 1953. It is an oval. It is asphalt. And it's a half-mile paved asphalt track. Uh, the width is 55 feet in the turns, 48 feet in the straights. Uh, the banking is 15-degree turns with 9-degree straights. And uh, uh, we're, like you mentioned, Christian Rose is coming up here in a few minutes. We're going to talk to him about this track and uh, what he's expecting uh, at Flight Speedway this weekend. But... Uh, uh, this this is really uh, an amazing track and, and one that a lot of drivers have worked really hard to win races at, especially in this snowball derby when you have drivers from all over the country coming to Five Flight Speedway to race. Yeah, obviously that being the crown jewel, uh, this Arkham Menard Series East though race has become a very pivotal one uh, as we've seen in the past uh, couple of years now. Uh, this is their second race, and looking at the point standings real quick, uh, of the top ten, I believe three of them aren't on the list. So we're going to see uh, some shuffling up of drivers. Sammy Smith picking up the victory, looking to continue that. We mentioned Taylor Gray, uh, six points behind. And then you got the Canadian driver, 
driver Donald Sieg, I mentioned in fifth place, Leland Honeyman, uh, we talked about in fourth place. But Christian Rose, sitting right now in 11th, uh, we're going to see some shuffling in those point standings. Yes, this is going to be an opportunity for several drivers, and uh, I know they're looking forward to that. Some notables that have won at Five Flag Speedway, particularly in that Snowball Derby, uh, includes drivers like Kyle Busch, uh, Chase Elliott, Eric Jones. Um, you've got John Hunter Nemechek, Christian Eckes, Noah Gregson, and the 2021 winner, Chandler Smith. So uh, a lot of familiar names on that list. Well, and that just tells you where you can go because a lot of those names you mentioned are in NASCAR's top three uh, series winning races there. So that tells you that the talent that moves up. I know uh, the race I was at, I know, I think Ty Gibbs was either second or third because I know he was on the front stretch during interviews. So that it was in the top three. Anthony Alfredo put on one heck of a show while, while I was there, and he's up in the NASCAR Xfinity Series now. Yes, yes. Okay, our guest is here, Jay, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him into the queue, and uh, we're going to get started uh, with our conversation with Christian Rose. And actually, Christian, this is our second conversation you were on with us last month as well, so I'm looking forward to uh, kind of catching up with you over the past, over what's happened over the last month or so. Uh, but before we do that, I want to say welcome back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you for being here. We we do appreciate it. Uh, now, Christian, you um, were able – you raced quite a few races already uh, this year. Uh, but let's talk about what happened at Phoenix. You were racing up in the top 15, and then – the gremlins hit, and you had some mechanical issues. But talk about uh, what happened before those mechanical issues and how you were feeling about what was happening with Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, we, we went into Phoenix with an approach of knowing we're going to be back there in November. Um, so our, our, our goal there was to go run all the laps and, and learn the track and understand that, you know, it was a stacked field. I think in the driver's meeting they told us that was the biggest Arkham Menards field they had had since 2011 or 12, I believe. And I think Ryan Blaney won that race. Um, so it, it was a stacked field all the way from top to bottom. Um, we were able to go forward. We didn't get to mock up and practice. Uh, we just ran out of time there. We were just trying to get me adjusted to the racetrack. Um, but we were going forward. We were 22nd, and I, I think we had driven, driven up to 13th and were um, on the heels of 12th at one point in the race. And um, Very fun racetrack. I mean, very, very fun to go down and uh, be able to cut that dog leg and, and ha- have two different corners, really, when you go into three and four, basically, with the bank being able to carry you and driving up to the start finish and try to carry that momentum down through the dog leg versus the flatter, flatter side of the track down there, one and two. So learned a lot for coming back there in November. Um, very excited to go back there. It was one of the most fun places I've ever run at. Oh, well, that's really good to hear, now, especially with the, the number of cars that were on that track. Uh, I was uh, thinking about it. That's a one-mile track, and we had, I think, about 39 entries all on the track racing at the same time. Um, how difficult was that, having so many cars on the track? It was uh, difficult, but, I mean, I, I think it helped me. The more cars that are out there and the more I can learn to be, you know, put myself in situations on restarts and learn how to, you know, 
put myself in certain places with the race car, it, it definitely helps me and kind of lets me gauge where we're at. Um, also having, you know, Bruce Cook and all those guys gave me a great race car and um, having a teammate like Josh Berry I did out there that weekend. Uh, Josh did him a little bit before practice, and I could lean on him a lot. And, and, you know, he was, you know, he doesn't have to talk to me or anything, so I'm very thankful to, you know, Bruce allows drivers to come in there and drivers want to drive for Bruce and, you know, be able to talk to them and learn, um, just pick their brains and understand they have a lot more experience, especially at places like that that I can learn from and use that to my ability. But with the, the race cars there, uh, 40 cars, it was, I, I just love seeing that many people turn out to an ARCA race and seeing fields where it's at. But um, definitely very cool to experience it, but it's also a little hair-raising knowing that anything can happen at any point with some of the lap cars and slower cars and the difference in speed in some places there with that many cars. Okay. Now this week you're, you're going to be going to Five Flags Speedway, uh, and we were talking about that track a little bit. Have you raced at Five Flags before? No, so I've always wanted to go run a late model there. I've run a late model a ton at New Smyrna. Uh, we never really made it over to Five Flags. I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity. This will be my first time running there. Okay, so how do you prepare for Five Flags Speedway when you've not raced there before? Um, I've gone and watched the last two races from there um, on YouTube, and uh, I, I know tire management is going to be a huge thing and just trying to, you know, not – wear our stuff out too early. I know we get two stage breaks, um, but I think every driver there is going to be fighting, you know, trying not to be too aggressive and just trying to run the pace and survive there until that last 50 on that last stage break. Yeah, there's going to be 16 drivers, I think I saw on the uh, entry list since the weekend. Um, uh, What is your goal for this weekend at Five Flight Speedway? Uh, I don't see a reason why we can't easily run up there in the top 10. My goal would be, you know, run all the laps. Um, that's that's the goal everywhere we go this year. You know, this is basically a rookie campaign for me. Run all the laps. Learn how to come back for next year stronger. Um, and Honestly, I think if, if we do our job and we do this, what we're supposed to do and, you know, I keep the tires on the car and don't wear the brakes that I believe we'll be up there and fighting for a top five where it's all said and done. We, we have speed to do it. We showed it at New Smyrna. It just didn't work out for us there, but – um, run all the laps and come out of there at the top ten, the top five would be what we're trying to do. Okay, that sounds like a like a good goal. Um, now we do have with me tonight on the show uh, tonight. I have Jay Huseman as co-host, and uh, I know he has some questions for you as well. So we're going to move to Jay. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Kristen. Uh, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, last time you were on, I know it was on a Monday night with uh, with Sal. So, uh, pleasure to get to talk to you. Uh, one thing you mentioned, it being your first time going to uh, Five Flags Speedway in particular, but you mentioned earlier driving for Bruce Cook. Um, for fans that might not be familiar with him, he's known for his time with Kevin Harvick Incorporated, uh, which was owned by Cup Series driver Kevin Harvick, and also Robert Yates. So what kind of tutelage do you get from him? I know you got Sean Samuels as your actual crew chief, but having, you mentioned that Bruce Cook's very involved. Yeah, Bruce has made me a better driver in so many different ways. Um, I can't even really put into words how much he's helped my racing career. Uh, you, you know, he, he gives me the tools, he gives me the equipment and, and teaches me what I'm supposed to do. And it really leaves it up to me at that point to go do it, you know, to learn and um, puts it into my hands. But he, he gives me every tool and every opportunity I could. Like I said last week, you know, we had Josh Berry in our sister car with us out there and, and having people around me like that and, and being able to learn 
uh, countless names to come in and out of that shop that Bruce has great equipment and gives me an opportunity for race car to go run up front. So um, there, there's a reason we're racing there and there's a reason why um, I've stuck with Bruce and it's because I trust him and I know their stuff strong. And I, I know the drivers he's worked with, it's a, it's a list of names that he's put in the truck series and extended series and, and up the cup. So um, th- there's a reason, like I said, we're there. Well, and you did hit on it, and I don't have the full list, but he is known for developing the, that younger talent. So uh, that's definitely a factor in, in your favor, as you learn from somebody like that. The other the other thing I wanted to talk about is, as you go around coming from West Virginia, um, we talk about drivers liking to run at their home track. You get to carry your home with you, if you will, with your sponsorship. Uh, talk about your sponsorship with the, with West Virginia. Yeah, I mean, it, it, not a lot of drivers I can say can pick a dream sponsor and end up getting it, especially, um, I would say, starting off in the ARC series and hopefully continuing that throughout um, many other series as we hope to do. But having West Virginia on the car is a dream come true. Uh, to have your whole state with you and, and to be able to represent them on and off the racetrack, it, it just I can't really even put into words what it means. Um, everywhere we go, we're just trying to raise a message of how pretty our state is. We have a beautiful state, and we're trying to get people to come see us. Um, and I, I think we're trying to spread the message in the, in the motorsports world because we're a very outdoorsy state. We're, we're hunting, fishing, hiking, um, everything you could do outdoors we, we have to offer. So uh, in the motorsports community, I couldn't imagine a better way to partner than have West Virginia on the race car and then also try to bring race fans into our home. Yeah, I, th- I think that is really cool. It has to be just an absolute honor for you, like you said, to have the, have the entire state uh, basically willing to invest in you and bring that um, out to the rest of the country as you travel around. So uh, that's great to see. And I know that's one of those you don't have to uh, endorse unwillingly, if you will, but uh, <laughs> fully believe in and be behind. So that's Absolutely. great. I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. I know she wants to talk about what you got upcoming yet, too, for the rest of the year. Absolutely. Okay. Did I lose you? Uh, you got me. Hello? Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear, hear you, Sharon. All right. Uh, I, uh, Jay mentioned that we'd like to talk next about uh, the upcoming schedule. Uh, what races? Let me go over the schedule here first. Uh, the next uh, race will be in April at Dover Motor Speedway. Uh, in May, it's Nashville Fairground Speedway. Uh, in June, Iowa Speedway. Uh, August, you're going to be in the Milwaukee Mile. And of course, September 15th, that's the season finale of Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, what? Let's talk about some of those tracks. And uh, what are you looking forward to the most, and which track do you think is going to be the most challenging for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think they all present their own sort of challenges and, and um, in their own degree. Uh, the one I'm looking forward to the most uh, is for sentimental reasons more than anything at Dover. Um, I, I grew up playing college or playing baseball, and I played college baseball, and I played college baseball about an hour down the road from Dover. And one of our teams that was in the division was Delaware State, and their baseball facility and school was literally right across from the, the speedway. Um, I remember, it was just, uh, I think the spring of 2018, 
we finished up a series against Dover or Delaware to push us into the playoffs. We had to sweep them to make it. And then I drove up. It was race weekend. An hour after that, Coach gave me off to go watch the cup race up there on Sunday. So uh, Dover definitely is the place I'm looking forward to the most. I'd throw Bristol in there too. But obviously I think they're going to be the two that present the hardest challenges too. <laughs> so, um, But those are definitely the ones I'm looking forward to the most. And, and there's probably going to be quite a few people out there to watch you. Although when you went to college, a lot of those folks have all scattered now. So, uh, but at your alma mater, uh, people know about you, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, April fifth, I'm going to be up. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, April April fifth, I'm going to be up there on Tuesday. I, I think it's Tuesday, April fifth, and I'm going to be um, getting put in the Wall of Fame up there for playing baseball and, and then obviously what we're doing on the racing side. So we still have strong roots back at UMES. And uh, like I said, I'm looking very forward to being able to go up there and represent uh, my school, uh, not too far from West Virginia at all. So being able to represent a lot of people at Dover for sure. So uh, that you're looking for sure. Uh, and and did you just tell me that you thought that would also be the most challenging track for you? Yeah, I think Dover and, and Bristol, too, for somebody that's never been to them, are going to be very challenging places. Um, they're all challenging when you've never gone to them. Um, but I, I think speed and the, obviously the degree of difficulty both those places present, even from just watching the cup race at those places uh, for a rookie is going to be pretty tough but uh you know we're always up for the challenge i've got the right resources around me to go there and i, I think we'll go do a good job especially when you look at places like dover we, we had very good cars there last year and bristol so i'm excited about both those places okay and and are you racing any other races in the arca menard series or the arca west uh, yeah we, we have a i think our schedule we're going to post it here pretty soon i know we're going to run some intermediate stuff um towards the summer months we're going to be all over the place between the East, the ARCA Premier, and then the ARCA West Series. We're going to be bouncing around all three series this year. Um, I think this weekend is going to kind of dictate what we do with the point situation on the East side. So we'll see how we come out of there. Like I said, we just didn't really have the luck we wanted at New Smyrna. We showed the speed, but I think we're going to hopefully be able to put all that together this weekend and go from there. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, now, I know – uh, Dan, you mentioned you're going to be making some announcements coming up here uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, how can fans follow you, Christian, so that they can keep up to date with what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. They can follow us on Instagram at Christian Rose Racing. Our website is ChristianRoseRacing.com. You can follow us along on Twitter at C Rose Racing, and then Facebook's under Christian Rose Racing as well. So. Um, that's probably the easiest way to follow us. If you want to choose a direct message for hero cards or stuff like that, feel free to reach out. We'll try to get those out as soon as possible. Um, but yeah, follow us on all the social networks. Uh, if you could fans, we're really looking forward to having West Virginia and, you know, promoting them throughout the year. So the best way we can do it is that we're hashtagging almost heaven on everything we're doing. So if you could help us spread the word and, and push out the hashtag almost heaven on everything we're doing, that would really, really help us a ton. Okay, that's awesome. Now, now, um, let me just uh, have a question there, um, and I've lost it already. I might have to save it for the next time, Christian. Okay, no worries. <laughs> um, but uh, I know you're going to be on with us uh, throughout the season, and uh, we're definitely uh, rooting for you out there on the racetrack. 
and uh, we wish you the best in these upcoming races, okay? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really do appreciate you taking the time to allow me to be on your show. Okay. Well, we we enjoy talking with you, so uh, take care and uh, stay safe. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Okay. Good night. All right. That is Christian Rose with uh, Cook Racing Technologies, and uh, uh, he he's a very articulate guy, and I really enjoy talking to him. Okay. Or uh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, fortunate. Uh, I know last uh, last time he was on, it was on the Monday with uh, with Sal. So uh, Sal got to talk with him. I I got appreciate the pleasure to be able to talk to him. Uh, I think he is one that, as mentioned, you're going to see, even if it's not for points. Uh, he said they were going to kind of evaluate where they shake out from this weekend. I do believe he's going to move up. So if they run the full Arkham and RG East, but also just the experience then of racing different series like that if it's for those spot in his in his situation of learning that i think could be huge as well oh absolutely and and you know he also mentioned that he's going to be racing across all three series so he'll be racing in the arkham and series and that of course includes that shoe chief showdown uh i don't know how many of those 10 races he'll be able to race but uh the fact that he's racing in the arkham Menard series is cool he's also racing in the arca west which you did when he raced out at phoenix raceway uh last weekend and uh as well as the arca east and i can't wait to hear more about what his schedule looks like uh in these coming months and he mentioned the summer in particular so uh, always fun chatting with him yeah, it's great that he's one that we're going to have on uh, regularly throughout the year and, and follow along all year, follow along all year long. Absolutely. Okay, now let's uh, go on to the uh, Camping World Truck Series. They're going to be racing this weekend at um, Atlanta Motor Speedway. They're going to be uh, the first ones out there on the track. Uh, on this newly configured track. So it's the Freight 208 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, They're racing on Saturday. It's a doubleheader Saturday, uh, March the 19th. Uh, And that's at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. The first there is $669,442. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 208 miles over 100. Uh, the first two stages are 30 laps each, with the first stage ending on lap 30, the second stage on lap 60, and the last stage ends on the last lap with 75 laps at 100. Last year's winner in the Camping World Truck Series was none other than Kyle Bush from Kyle Bush Motorsports. Well, we're going to have a different one in the truck series, though. A Red Hot Ross is returning to the trucks. He's a NASCAR Cup Series a regular driver now. Ross Chastain has had an impressive start to the 2022 Cup Series, uh, posting a third-place finish at Las Vegas and then runner-up finish last weekend at Phoenix. Now the Florida native, though, is returning to the Camping World Truck Series He's going to pilot the Nice Motorsports number 41 Chevrolet in this weekend's Freight 208 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. 
Chastain has made five truck series starts at Atlanta, posting four top tens and an average finish of 9.8. So going into an unknown, it's good to have a solid driver like Ross Chastain helping you out. I think he was first pick out of the gate in our fantasy group too, wasn't he? I do believe he was, yes. Okay, the Sunoco Rookie Class update. Well, Dean Thompson wins the Rookie of the Race at Las Vegas. So through two races uh, so far this year in the Rookie of the Year standings uh, for the Truck Series, it has been led by Nice Motorsports' Lawless Allen with 30 points. But Dean Thompson gained some ground. He's just three points back. Jack Wood, 14 points back. Corey Heim, 18 points back. And Blaine Perkins at 22 points back. Allen won the Rookie of the Race Award for Daytona. And as I mentioned earlier, it was Thompson who won that award at Las Vegas. When we look at Team DGR, we talked about some of their strategy. Uh, Tanner Gray is also off to the best start of his career. It's his third season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, and Team DGR driver Tanner Gray having that career start after posting two top fives in as many races. Now the North Carolina native finds himself second in the series driver standings, the highest Gray has ever ranked in the point series in his career. Uh, he's just five points back from series standing leader Chandler Smith. Gray's previous best career Camping World Truck Series Point standings position was fourth, and that was following Daytona to open the 2022 season. But prior to that, it was 12th back in 2020. And so far this year, Gray, Gray has been paired with veteran crew chief Jerry Baxter. Now, the duo has been quick from the drop of the green flag, uh, finishing fourth to open the season at Daytona, and then followed it up with a fifth-place finish two weeks ago at Las Vegas. As we look to Atlanta, Gray has made two Camping World Truck Series starts at the track and posted an average finish of 15.0. Okay, Zane Smith uh, from Front Row Motorsports does have some rebounding to do, and this weekend may be an opportunity for him. After nearly winning at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Zane Smith crossed the finish line as runner-up, but his 38-4 failed the post-race inspection, and that ended up with him being disqualified. So Smith uh, ended up finishing in 36th place. Now the Californian has, Californian has dropped from the Truck Series points lead to 12th in the driver's standings. He's 40 points behind Chandler Smith, who holds that points lead. Now, this weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Zane Smith is going to have his work cut out for him. The 22-year-old is locked into the playoffs thanks to his win in that season opener at Daytona, but that is all contingent on whether or not he can stay in the top 20 in series points uh, as he competes full-time in the truck series. So despite the speed bump at Vegas, I would anticipate that Smith will rebound this week at Atlanta. In two starts, he's put up one top five and two top tens. His average finish at the 1.54-mile track is a solid 5.5. We mentioned earlier that Atlanta has a lot of unknowns. We don't know yet how that's going to affect 
uh, the racing style of some of these drivers, but I think Zane Smith is uh, certainly one to watch. Well, another one to watch, we talk about experience, maybe not in the trucks, but been running up front early is Rackley War Racing, uh, along with Matt Benedetto. They're off to a great start for 2022. They got back-to-back top 10 finishes to open the season at Daytona, which was 10th, and then 6th at Las Vegas. It's the best start to the season for Rackley War since joining the series last year and the first time the team has posted multiple top 10 finishes in a season. Now, DiBenedetto's experience, as I mentioned, has been a certain boost to the organization this season. The 30-year-old from Grass Valley, California, has spent the last seven seasons in the NASCAR Cup Series refining his skills as having worked with teams like Levine Family Racing and the famed Wood Brothers Racing. Though in his first season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, he has meshed quite quickly with crew chief Chad Kendrick and that number 25 Chevrolet team. The two jumped eight spots in the driver's standings with their performance at Las Vegas and are now ranked sixth, just 29 points back from the standings lead. This weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway uh, will be his truck series track debut uh, as he's in the truck series for the first time. And it'll be at the recently reconfigured 1.54 mile track. Though he does, the veteran does have seven cup series starts at the track having posted one top 10 finish. Okay. Uh, We mentioned earlier that uh, from Powell Bush Motorsports, Chandler Smith leads the truck series point standings for the first time in his career and uh, kind of leads everybody as they head into the motor speedway this weekend for the double header with the Xfinity series. Now with his big win two weeks ago at Las Vegas, the 19 year old jumped from sixth in the series points up to first. And now he holds a five point margin over team DGR's Tanner Gray, who is in that second spot. 15 points up, though, on Thorsport Racing's Ty Majeski in third place. The Vegas victory was the first Camping World Truck Series win at the 1.5-mile facility and the third of his series career um, for Chandler. Now Smith turns his attention to the newly repaved Atlanta Motor Speedway where he made his Truck Series debut last year. But he struggled during that event. He started 11th and finished in 35th. So um, if, if that trend continues, we could see a shakeup in the series point standings this weekend. Well, and overall, talking about trucking in Atlanta, it'll be the 21st time that the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series has competed on the historic 1.54-mile Atlanta Motor Speedway. The previous 20 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races have produced 11 different pole winners and 14 different race winners. Here's your history lesson for tonight. Mike Skinner has three, 2005, six, and seven, and NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr., uh, 07, 08, and 10, as they lead the truck series in poles Atlanta with three each. Only one former series Atlanta pole winner has entered this weekend, and that'd be Matt Crafton from 2016. Now, Kyle Busch leads the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series and wins in Atlanta with six. Only three former Truck Series Atlanta winners are entered this weekend, 
Matt Crafton, I mentioned, 2015. John Hunter Nemechek picked up a win there in 16. And Grant Enfinger in 2020. Okay, I think we've mentioned this a few times uh, tonight, but we're going to mention it one more time. Atlanta Motor Speedway is a brand new uh, for the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series. Um, but the Camping World Truck Series uh, returns to the newly repaved and reconfigured Atlanta Motor Speedway on Saturday, uh, again for that double hitter with the Xfinity Series. Uh, the race is in Alley Cars 250 at 5 p.m. Eastern Time for the Xfinity Series. Now, Atlanta has hosted 20 Camping World Truck Series races since the series has last been there. The track has undergone that reprofiling and now resembles a quad oval layout. Also, as part of the updates, the banking was increased in the turns from 24 to 28 degrees. The banking will remain at 5 degrees on the straights, uh, but the surface will become narrower with an overall decrease in width from 55 feet to 40 feet. So the new widths will be 52 feet on the front stretch in turns. Since this will be the first time that the series has competed on the new track, teams will have 50 minutes of practice on Friday at 3.05 to 3.55 p.m. Eastern Time, and the Kometic Gaskets poll qualifying will take place on Saturday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. So uh, a lot of eyes will be on this Camping World Truck Series race because they will be the first uh, vehicles out there on the newly configured and repaved Atlanta Motor Speedway. So uh, I would expect uh, quite a few people will be watching what happens. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, it's a bit different for each series. The trucks are at least returning with their normal truck versus the Cup Series being double unknown. But you're right. There's going to be a lot of people watching to see what the track itself is like. Yes, indeed. Now, I mentioned earlier that the Xfinity Series was racing the Nally Cars 250 at Atlanta, also on Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern. The purse there is going to be $1,232,553. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1, and they'll start their pre-race coverage at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage is on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 251 miles over 163 laps. Uh, the stages, the first two stages are 40 laps apiece. Uh, they'll be racing, uh, in, the end of stage one will be on lap 40, the end of stage two on lap 80. And the final stage uh, race end will be on lap 163. And if I, my math is correct, that's 83 laps for that final stage. Last year's winner is Justin Algallon. Now we do have some new and familiar faces joining in on the NASCAR Xfinity Series Fund. We've got full-time NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver John Hunter Nemechek. He'll be returning to the Joe Gibbs racing in the number 18 for three Xfinity Series races. That'll be April 2nd uh, at Richmond, April 30th at Dover, and then September 24th in Texas. Now, he's also run uh, three Xfinity Series races last year for JGR, 
posted one victory and two top tens. Another driver joining in the Xfinity Series is Derek Griffith. He'll be making his series debut in the number 26 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota at Richmond Raceway. He made his first NASCAR National Touring Series start last year in the Camping World Truck Series at Worldwide Technology Raceway. He's also raced 10 Arca Menard Series starts where he's posted three top fives and eight top tens. And he was on that list for the the, uh, race at Hickory, the Easter Bunny 150. So that's where he is this weekend. Okay. Well, let's preview the playoff picture and how that's panning out. As of right now, Norgrader and Ty Gibbs and rookie Austin Hill are leading the pack in the playoff standings with their wins. Hill at Daytona, Gibbs in Las Vegas, and Grayson at Phoenix. In the fourth place position currently sits Justin Algauer with 161 points, followed by A.J. Allmendinger at 160, so that's a one-point difference there. Josh Berry at 150 points, Daniel Hemrick at 135, Brandon Jones 121, Ryan Seed 98, Sam Mayer 97, Riley Earps at 95, just a two-point difference there. Uh, and actually three points between Ryan Sieg and Riley Earps with Sam Mayer in the middle. And then Brandon Brown at 92 points. So uh, that's six points between uh, those last four positions. Just outside the playoff cut point, cutoff in points is Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender Sheldon Creed. He's three points uh, down. Landon Castle also three points back with 89 points apiece. Uh, with 29 Xfinity Series races left, a lot can change. For a full playoff outlook, you can go to Phoenix Raceway uh, and check that out. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's starting to shape up, but we've still got a lot of racing to do. Well, and it begins this weekend in Atlanta, Georgia, as the Xfinity Series races the Nally Cars 250 on Saturday. It'll be second of the day as the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series will kick it off for that Del Pedro. Uh, this is the 32nd NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Previous 31 races have produced 17 different pole winners and 19 different race winners. Uh, this category has Kevin Harvick leading the way with six races uh, wins under his belt. Three of those wins were back-to-back back-to-back in 2013, 14, and 15. Uh, Not far behind are drivers Mark Martin and Kyle Busch with three wins each. Uh, Fun fact, Kyle Busch has won 102 NASCAR Xfinity Series races, making him the first driver in Xfinity Series history to hit that 100 wins mark. Sharon mentioned Justin Algar. He won last March's uh, Xfinity Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway obviously be competing again this weekend, hoping to make his way to victory lane once again. Algar has had a hot start to the 2022 season, posting two top fives and four top ten finishes, and currently sits third in the series point standings, 42 points behind uh, Gregson in the standings lead. Excuse me. Uh, Bush is the most recent winner at the 1.5-mile, 5.4-mile track, beating second- and third-place drivers Jeb Burton and Noah Gregson. Both Burton and Gregson will be competing in the Nally Cars 250 on Saturday for their chance at redemption. Burton is looking to post his first victory this season, 
and Gregson is looking to go back-to-back with wins and post his fifth consecutive top-five finish this season. And to be more specific, that would be a fifth top-three finish. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, now, uh, sometimes you can take a negative and make it a positive. Well, that's what Noah Gregson did. His close loss at Las Vegas fueled Noah Gregson to win big in Phoenix. Uh, Las Vegas native Noah Gregson fell short to tie Gibbs at his home track in Las Vegas after winning both stage one and two. It was a pretty tough loss for the 23-year-old Gregson, but he wasn't knocked down. He came back this past weekend to lead 114 laps and win the United Reynolds 200 at Phoenix Raceway by a margin of 2.555 seconds. So Gregson has had an impressive start in the Xfinity Series, posting three top, I'm sorry, posting a top three finish in all four races. His win in Phoenix was the first of the season and his sixth in the Xfinity Series career. Now, closing out the top five was Brandon Jones, Gregson's junior motorsports teammate Josh Berry, Trevor Bain, and John Hernimacek. Las Vegas winner Ty Gibbs came in in sixth place. So the win was widened, uh, that win widened the gap between Gregson and Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity Series point standings. After posting a second-place finish in Vegas, Gregson was still ahead of Gibbs by 17 points. Now Gregson has racked up 203 points, putting him 39 points ahead of Ty Gibbs and 164, who is at 164 heading to Atlanta. Now fans will get to see Gregson in action twice this weekend as he's competing at Atlanta Motor Speedway in both the number nine junior motorsport Chevrolet for the Xfinity Series, and the number 16 college racing Chevrolet for the NASCAR Cup Series. So double duty for Noah Gregson this weekend. He's made four Xfinity Series starts at Atlanta. He has three top fives in those starts and four top tens. His average finish is 4.5, the best among active drivers this weekend. So uh, he's definitely one of the drivers to watch in the Xfinity Series this weekend. Uh, Most certainly, as I mentioned, very impressive start. Four top three finishes with one of them being a victory. Uh, You can't ask for a much stronger start, especially since he could have won the second one as well. Exactly. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the Cup Series. I know we're a little ahead of schedule, but we always need that extra time. The Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 in Atlanta on Sunday, March the 20th, will start at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. The first year, $8,263,045. It will be televised on Fox starting at 2.30 p.m. for the pre-race coverage and radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race a distance of 500 miles. That's 325 laps. Uh, The first two stages are 105 laps each. Uh, Stage one ends on 105, stage two on 210. And the final stage ends on the last lap, which is uh, 325. And if my math serves me correctly, I believe that's 105 laps for that fine final stage. 
Uh, the last year's winner was Ryan Blaney. Well, we got the Grand Marshal for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 has been named, and it'll be Brantley Gilbert. He's a multi-platinum-selling country superstar and has been named the Grand Marshal for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 NASCAR Cup Series race at Atlanta Motor Speedway this Sunday, March 20th. The Georgia native will give the command to start engines ahead of the 500-mile race as part of his Grand Marshal duties. And he'll help kick off the party in Atlanta Motor Speedway's uh, Peach Pit on Saturday night. So if you're uh, there for the entire entertainment package, there you got some. Okay. Next up, we're going to do the featured matchups for the Folds of Honor Quick Trip 500 in Atlanta. Uh, Let's go from the bottom up, Jay, and I'll start with uh, Chase Bristow and Tyler Reddick, and then we'll go every other one. Okay, the first uh, matchup is the number 14 of Chase Briscoe and the number 8 of Tyler Reddick. Two of the biggest surprises of this season uh, so far comprises the final matchup or the matchup of this week's slate with Phoenix winner Chase Briscoe going head-to-head with Tyler Reddick. Both Reddick and Briscoe have been threatened to win in multiple races to start this season with Reddick showing dominant speed and leading large chunks of the race at the clash in Fontana. Now, Briscoe finally broke through for his first career cup win last Sunday at Phoenix Raceway. In super speedway style events, both drivers have shown flashes of brilliance uh, so far in their young careers. Briscoe posted a third-place finish at the season-opening Daytona 500 and has the sixth-best average finish in the series on super speedways, since 2019. Uh, Reddick has struggled to deliver finishes on super speedways in his young cup career thus far, but has shown a nose for the front of the field. He nearly won the 2020 summer race at Daytona before getting collected in a wreck while leading uh, with just five laps left to run. The race take on a more immediate track look and feel, more of an intermediate look and feel, Reddick may have an edge. His 13.54 average finish since 2019 on intermediate is 11th best in the series compared to Briscoe's 20.31, which ranks at 27th. Well, I'd have to put my money on Reddick there. We'll see how that pans out. Uh, another matchup we got, we got the 47 of Ricky Stenhouse versus the 23 of Bubba Wallace. Now, this matchup pits two super speedway specialists together just weeks after the two traded the lead late in the Daytona 500. Stenhouse and Wallace have each shown the most aptitude at super speedways in their respective careers thus far, with each garnering their first wins at Talladega and posting their career, best career finishes to date at the super speedway type of track. Now, both drivers were significant factors to win this February's Daytona 500. Wallace coming up just short of victory with the second place finish, while Stenhouse was leading with 10 laps to go in the event before a wreck in the closing laps, unfortunately squashed his shot at victory. Again, we don't know how Atlanta is going to play out this weekend, whether it's going to be a super speedway style or that intermediate style. So we'll have to see how that comes to fruition. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, same same situation here with the number nine of Chase Elliott versus the number 11 of Denny Hamlin. Georgia's favorite son, Chase Elliott, visits his home track at Atlanta this weekend in a matchup against the veteran driver of Hamlin, who has struggled mightily in the first four races of 2022. Now, Hamlin right now sits 27th in points after a combination of wrecks, poor luck, and driver team errors to start this season, uh, plunging the number 11 team to its worst start in many years. So Elliott, who sits third in the Cup Series points, courtesy of Stage Points, has had similar up-and-down luck to start the season after showing race-winning speed at both Montana and Phoenix, only posting finishes of 26th and 11th to show for it. So uh, those guys having a rough season so far, but a lot can change uh, this weekend. Well, and we've seen them have their battles, so that one's definitely an interesting one. Here's our top one, though. And that's Kyle Larson in the number five versus the number 12 of Ryan Blaney. Uh, the lead uh, matchup for this week's slate sees a pair that dueled for the win in last year's spring event at Atlanta after a dominant performance from Larson was spoiled late in the race by Blaney, who charged past Larson in the final laps of the event to take the surprise victory. Atlanta, however, is not the same track that it was, as we mentioned, when these two dueled in 2021. It now has four more degrees of banking and a freshly repaved track surface. Atlanta is likely closer to race closer to the 2.5-mile Daytona track than the traditional 1.5-mile track, something that would suit Blaney, who is widely regarded as a top driver on the circuit on super speedways. Now, Larson struggles mightily in the super speedway-style races, and he has the 47th-best average finished among drivers who have completed, competed in similar, similarly styled races since 2019. Blaney, on the other hand, has the fifth best average finish over that same time period on the super speedways. Now, Larson's team hopes uh, would be Atlanta to end up racing more similarly to the typical intermediate track, a track style which he is the best on in the series. He ranks first in driver rating on the intermediate since 2019. But look for Blaney to have the edge in the matchup if the race turns into the pack-style drafting race and Larson if it takes on the more traditional intermediate track look and feel. And that's what hopefully fans understand, that, that just that unknown of which way the track is going to lay out. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's uh, take a look at uh, the parody party. Uh, 2022 is a season that's off to a very fast start. Consider this. In four first four races of this season for the Cup Series, the fans have seen four different pole winners and four different race winners and three different driver point standings leaders. Joy Logano is the latest of the three driver point standings leaders, taking the top spot following his eighth-place finish last Sunday at Phoenix. Logano joins Austin Sendrick and Kyle Larson as the three drivers to hold that point standings lead so far this season. The 21 series champ, Kyle Larson, who won at Daytona, Austin Sendrick at Auto Club, Christopher Bell at Las Vegas, and Ryan Blaney at Phoenix, 
have all won a pole this season. Both Cindric and Bell were first-time pole winners in the Cup Series, becoming the 241st and 242nd different drivers to win a pole in the series. Now, the rookie, Austin Cindric, uh, who won at Daytona, uh, Kyle Larson at Auto Club and Alex Bowman at Las Vegas with Chase Briscoe at Phoenix have all won a race this season. Cindric and Briscoe were first-time winners this year, and Briscoe becomes the 200th different winner in the Cup Series. Through four races this year, uh, Al has also seen 16 different drivers post top five finishes the second most through the first four races of the season behind the 2020 season that saw 17 in the last 10 years uh, from 2013 to 22. In the NASCAR Cup Series, the first four races uh, this season has produced an average number of different leaders per race of 10.17 when it was at 12.0 and an average of 26.0 lead changes per race. That's the most since 2011 when it was at 35. And to boot, all four of the Cup Series races have concluded with a margin of victory of less than a second. And the season's average margin of victory through four races is 0.295 of a second. The closest since 2016 when it was at 2.32. thousandths of a second. So has some pretty interesting stats there, Jay. Yeah, most certainly. And, and we like to see it. We've talked about that many times as we came into the season, as well as these first four races. So hopefully that continues. Uh, we'll see how these teams shake out. Now, one that uh, maybe wasn't expected at least this early but Chase Briscoe is the latest of a long list of new winners on the Cup Series. Stuart Haas's racing's Chase Briscoe became the 200th, 200th different winner in the NASCAR Cup Series history with his victory last weekend at Phoenix Raceway. Briscoe joined Sunoco rookie and Team Penske driver Austin Sindrick, uh, who is the Daytona 500 winner, as the second Cup Series first-time winner already here in the 2022 season. Now, as the series heads to Atlanta Motor Speedway, with 10 different drivers entered this weekend looking for their first win. If there is another new winner this weekend in Atlanta, it'll be the 23rd time the NASCAR Cup Series has seen back-to-back first-time winners. Uh, Most recently, that happened last season with Michael McDowell at Daytona and then Christopher Bell at the Daytona Road Course as they opened up the year with two first-time winners. And it's a great time to be competing in the Cup Series, at the uh, NASCAR Cup Series. In the last decade, in fact, from 2013 to 2022, it's produced 18 of those 200 uh, first-time winners in this series. Mentioned uh, Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick uh, this year already. Last year, we had Bubba Wallace, who did it at Talladega in October, Christopher Bell in Daytona Road Course, and Michael McDowell on the uh, Oval. In 2021, we had William Byron at Daytona in August. In July, it was Cole Custer at Kentucky. In 2019, there you had Justin Haley pulling off the upset at Daytona in July 2019. Alex Bowman got his first at Chicago 
in June of that year. Then in 2018, we had Chase Elliott got his first uh, coming at Watkins Glen in August. And Daytona was on July 7th and 18. It was Eric Jones. In 17, Ryan Blaney got his first victory at Pocono in June. Austin Dillon did in May at Charlotte. Ricky Stenhouse did in May at Talladega. 2016, there it was Kyle Larson. He got his first in August uh, of that year at Michigan. Another one at Pocono was uh, Chris Busher. I remember that one, August uh, of 2016. And then you go back to 2014. Watkins Glen again, it was A.J. Allmendinger in August. And in July, it was Eric Almarola at Daytona. Now, since the inception of the NASCAR Cup Series in 1948, the 1950 season holds the record for the most first-time winners in a single season with 12, followed in 1956 with 10. The 2011 season holds the record for the most first-time winners in a single season during the modern area, uh, era, which goes from 1972 to the present, and they had five there. So we got two already this year, three more, and we would tie the modern era record. Uh, that's pretty cool. All right, uh, Team Penske's Joey Logano jumps to the point standings lead heading into Atlanta. The 2018 Cup Series champ and Team Penske driver Joey Logano has returned to the point standings lead for the first time since following Martinsville Speedway playoff racing. This season, Logano and his crew chief Paul Wolf started slow with a 21st place finish at Daytona. But since then, they put up a fifth at Auto Club and a 14th at Las Vegas, then an eighth-place finish last week in the at Phoenix. Logano heads to Atlanta looking for his first win at the 1.54-mile track in 16 career starts at Atlanta. Logano has posted two top fives and five top tens. Logano has yet to win at Atlanta with the new configuration and anticipation of super speedway-type racing he might be one to watch. Logano is considered one of the best active drivers at Daytona and Talladega, where he has combined to win four times, Daytona once, and Talladega three times. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Logano does this weekend at Atlanta. Uh, we got a big section here uh, to recap the Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, and the, the Cup Series, they go way back, 62 years to be exact. Originally, it was called Atlanta International Raceway, and the track was on a 1.5-mile paved speedway and hosted its first Cup Series race on July 31, 1960. The event was won by Hall of Famer, NASCAR Hall of Famer Fireball Roberts from the pole position in a 1960 Pontiac. Now, this is uh, last year was not the first time Atlanta has undergone the reconfiguration either. The track was remeasured to 1.522 miles in the spring of 1970. It was renamed Atlanta Motor Speedway in 1990. The track layout was then reversed, and the track was reconfigured to the 1.54 miles between the races between the two races in 1997. From 1960 to 2010. Atlanta Motor Speedway hosted multiple NASCAR Cup Series races during each season, and then starting in the 2011, they began only visiting once a year from 2011 to 20. 
Last season marked the first time since 2010 that they visited the facility more than once a season. Also, from 1987 to 2000, Atlanta Motor Speedway held the final championship race of the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. So in total, there have been 115 Cup races at AMS since the first race there in 1960. They've had uh, 53 different pull winners and 45 different race winners. Now, nine of the 53 Cup Series Atlanta Motor Speedway pole winners are active this weekend. Kevin Harvick has two, Eric Almarola, Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Joey Logano, Ricky Stenhouse, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex, and Greg Biffle each have one. Uh, Buddy Baker in, in 1968, 71, 76, the 79 sweep, 80 and 84. And then the Rocket Man, Ryan Newman, with an 03 sweep, 04 sweep, 05 sweep in 2007, are tied for the NASCAR Cup Series most polls at Atlanta with seven each. Kevin Harvick, again, leads all active Cup Series drivers with two Atlanta polls in 2014 and 17. Now, the Cup uh, race winners at Atlanta, we have six that are active this weekend. Kurt Busch has four in 2021, 2010, 9, and 2, 02. Harvick with three in 2020, 18, and 2001. Keselowski has two in 19 and 17. Kyle Busch in 13 and 08. And then Ryan Blaney and Denny Hamlin each have one. Blaney's coming in 2021. Reversing those second pair of numbers, Hamlin's was in 2012. Now, NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt is the one that leads the Cup Series with wins with nine victories, coming in 1980, 84, 86, 88, 89, 90, then 95, 96, and 2000. Mentioned Kurt Busch in 02, 9, 10, and 21 leads all active drivers with the four victories, including that most recent race in July. Now, Bush has the opportunity to become the 12th different driver to win consecutive races at Atlanta Motor Speedway and Cup Series. He joined Marvin Ponch, Bobby Allison, David Pearson, Richard Petty, Cale Yarbrough, Bill Elliott, Dale Earnhardt, Bobby Labonte, Jeff Gordon, Carl Edwards, Jimmy Johnson as the drivers that have accomplished that feat. Uh, pretty amazing. Okay, uh, refreshed and reconfigured Atlanta Motor Speedway awaits the Cup Series. It took construction crews 163 days, but the newly redesigned Atlanta Motor Speedway awaits the Cup Series for the race this Sunday. Not long after Kurt Busch took the checkered flag last July at Atlanta, crews began dismantling the track in preparation for its first repave since 1997. The reconfiguration produced 28 degrees of banking in every corner of the 1.54-mile track or speedway, making Atlanta the steepest intermediate track on the NASCAR schedule. In addition to the steeper turns over the course of the five months, a transformation, the changes to the speedway include a new drainage technology and brand-new asphalt. All the action begins at Atlanta for the Cup Series this Friday, uh, they will have 15 minutes of practice on Friday from 5.05 to 5.55, and the Bushlight Pool qualifying will be held on Saturday from 12.30 to 1.50, and both will be televised on Fox Sports 1. 
There are many unknowns on how this weekend's racing is going to play out, but all indications are pointing to super speedway style racing, and that has been that we have seen at Talladega and Daytona. So uh, a lot to look forward to with this race at Atlanta uh, with all of the unknowns uh, for everyone uh, that is going to be attending that race uh, for the fans as well as every driver that's going to be on the track. Well, and and I hate to do this. Normally it's Mike that likes to do this, and I think he is the one that puts something up. Uh, the weather right now is a little bit unknown as well. Is it iffy? So some of that might be rescheduled all into Saturday, depending on what happens Friday. Yeah, I think I think Friday okay. is is the day they're really looking at uh, it being an issue. Yeah, I think you're you're right about that. Okay, I never heard from Mike, but I don't think Mike's going to be able to make it tonight. Uh, I tried to get uh, uh, Tommy, but Tommy's not available tonight. And I know uh, Andy is working tonight. So it sounds like for Hot Topics tonight, Jay, it's just going to be you and me uh, talking about all the hot topics that we have on our list tonight. All right, well, we can do that. I know a couple of them uh had at least some inputs on them. Um, trying to look through. Uh, you pick which one you want to start with or you want me to? No, you go ahead and pick what you want to start with, and then we'll go from there. All right. Well, I know Mike put this one up but didn't have any comments of his own with it, but we got big news coming from Sebring as NASCAR, uh, Hendrick, Chevy, and Goodyear plan to take the next-gen car to Le Mans next year in the special Garage 56 entry. And fortunately, I listened to SiriusXM uh, radio on the, on the radio today and learned a little bit more about this, if you want me to do some background there, Sharon. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, normally, I guess the, the, it's 55 dolls uh, for this uh, Le Mans uh, race, and that 56 entry is is that extra one that they allow for developmental or futuristic, uh, that's not the word they use, but um, something that would be forthcoming. It's not a part of the racing field itself, but it is there to test to see how it does against the competition and handles. So NASCAR is taking that step. Uh, it hasn't been formally announced, but obviously with this release and the parties that were involved, the official announcement will come from uh, Le Mans, I guess, or wherever it comes from. Um, here in a month or two, I think is what they said. But so, like I said, it's not actually going to be racing for points or anything in the event. It's just that additional car that can be entered for, I said, I said, my word is developmental. That's a project car uh, moving forward. Yeah, they just want to see how this next-gen car would perform in the IMSA series in this 24 Hours of Le Mans. And uh, the term that they give that is Garage 56. So when they don't race for points and they're out on the track racing in the field of drivers that are racing for points, uh, they get that special designation of Garage 56. So uh, uh, it's kind of a a really great thing that's happening. Uh, Nearly half a century after Bill Francine first took stock cars to the prestigious 24-hour of Le Mans, 
uh, in NASCAR and Hendrick Motorsports have announced their intention to compete in that 2023 event as a special Garage 56. So uh, it's been a while uh, since they've done that. And uh, so this is kind of a big deal that they're taking this next-gen Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 race car and its collaboration of NASCAR, Hendrick Motorsports, Chevrolet, IMSA, and Goodyear uh, are all working together on this car uh, to include the technical elements of the car and the team driver lineup will be announced at a, a later date. But um, all of these all of these organizations are working together to field the century and to see how it does uh, out there on the track um, with the IMSA, uh, the other IMSA sport cars. So uh, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think it's we've seen good things from the next gen car. Within the NASCAR ranks, we've been talking about the parity uh, that it's brought to the racing in the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, I think it's going to be fantastic to see. Uh, I've always said that I thought this car is a much sportier-looking car uh, than we've seen in NASCAR in quite some time. Uh, so I think it's going to be fun to see how it does in the IMSA Racing Series uh you know, in 2023. So they've got a whole year to work on this project, huh? Uh, and to get it right, uh, to be able to compete with these uh, IMSA sports cars uh, and to see how this next-gen car performs under those racing conditions. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun deal. Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think any type of uh, inner promotion, as I call it, cross-promotion that you have in a case like this, I mean, we've seen it where NASCAR drivers have entered into the Daytona 24 hours of Daytona, Rolex 24 hours of Daytona, the interest that draws. And I'm one that just racing is racing. So to get that mixture, I think, is a great thing. Obviously, they're going to be tuned into it. I think it can be helpful in the developmental and advancement of the next-gen car for NASCAR purposes. And I know reading uh, through, I think it was some of Bob Pockers' tweets, he was answering a lot of questions already. That it's going to be a different style of next-gen car in order to compete with the Le Mans and IMF, uh, IMSA racing. Um, so, you know, there's those that were questioning Hendrick getting an advantage and being able to test and all this. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Childress is also involved as far as the engine. So it's a combination event. Don't get that wrapped up about it, you know. Uh, like I said, I think it's going to be a great thing. I think NASCAR as a whole is behind it. Um, it happened to be that they, the Hendrick is the one that stepped up or how it came about, I don't know. I think it said Hendrick had already been in talk since 2020. We've seen other team owners such as Penske Ganassi that has cars in other series. So I don't see that as an issue. And, and I get kind of frustrated with fans that want to start that. I mean, like I said, when this announcement came out, that's what I heard already. Dave Moody was having to fend off those questions, <laughs> you know, the black helicopters. So, yeah. uh, and he and he does such a great job at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, like you said, it's going to be a different type of car because it, they have to make modifications to the car to make it competitive with those sports cars. So I think uh, that's going to be just fine. Uh, I don't think 
Oh, I apologize <laughs> uh, for yawning here. Uh, I don't think it's that big of an issue. I'm kind of in the same boat with you, Jay. Uh, sometimes fans want to make a lot, much to do about nothing. Uh, but I do think that uh, uh, the fact that NASCAR is involved with this project along with Goodyear and Chevrolet and, and uh, you know, the, the different uh, uh, IMSA, uh, Hendrick Motorsports, I think NASCAR is going to see to it that whatever they learn from this car that can be applied to NASCAR, uh, that they will apply it beyond Hendrick Motorsports uh, to other teams as well. So there shouldn't be uh, the kind of concern that some fans are kind of getting worried about um, because of the collaboration that's going uh, across all these different uh, uh, organizations. I don't think NASCAR is going to allow that to happen. And there's going to be some things that will apply to the IMSA series that wouldn't necessarily apply to uh, the NASCAR series, and and maybe even vice versa. So uh, it might be a little bit of uh, an uproar over, uh, you know, just the idea without really looking at the context. So I don't have anything more to say. How about you, Jay? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you said that because it came up this past weekend, uh, I think it was at Phoenix, uh, where Clint Boyer said Danica brought something up about the comparison between IndyCar and NASCAR, and Clint shut that down. He's like, that ain't going to work in NASCAR, you know. So they had a little bit of fun with that. (laughs) But I look at the things that it can bring. I mean, the exposure – both ways, uh, again, to, to get more uh, NASCAR fans w- involved in the IMSA-style racing, as well mm-hmm. as vice versa. You know, I, I know it's been years since we did the three-race exhibition in Japan. Um, we had a couple in Mexico. Maybe we see a NASCAR exhibition race in Europe sometime. You know, I mean, that's to me, that's, that's the kind of things. And then sponsors, uh, sponsors and drivers, the exchange that we've seen of a couple, even if it is for one to five, ten races, or some of these drivers maybe do come to try a full-time uh, ride in NASCAR, or the Cup Series drivers, when they're done Cup racing, going and being involved in that. You know, Jimmy Johnson, going mm-hmm. to IndyCar, whatever it be. So there's a lot of good things that can come out of it. Um, it kind of sparked my interest if we might see Hendrick Motorsports become like Penske and Ganassi where they are involved in more types of motorsports other than just NASCAR. That that was kind of my thought of if that was Hendrick on their own, trying to look at it and feel it out. Uh, I know this case, it's, you know, NASCAR's behind it. As you mentioned, that's a, a testing ground as far as the next-gen car and what can be improved and learned um, on this car in an outside source uh, rather than within the Cup Series. So uh, I think there are a lot of good things that can and will come from it. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I, I too, I love the exposure of NASCAR fans uh, to the IMSA series and vice versa. We do that uh, with the Rolex 24, but 24 Hours of Le Mans is another huge race in that series. And uh, I I just think it's a great cross promotion. And you got to applaud NASCAR and Motorsports 
Goodyear, all these people that are working together uh, in order to make that happen. It's a positive thing overall for the sport and for himself, for that matter. Well, and, and I will okay. say this, uh, the last thing I, uh, that I want to say here on it is Moody brought it up, and I know I've talked about it before, of seeing the Cup Series, or NASCAR Top 3 Series, do that style. Five to ten trucks, five to ten Xfinity, and five to ten Cup drivers in their respective cars at a, it would have to be a bigger track or a road course, but doing the mixture style like they do the 24 hours of Daytona. Yes, yes. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. Um, Since it's just the two of us, I'll go ahead and introduce the next one. We'll just go bottom up here, Jay. Um, The veteran NASCAR driver calling out last week's track. Um, This was on the spun, if you will. Um, I I know uh, uh, there is a comment here from Andy Lassie, and I'll, I'll kind of give that after I give a little bit of background here. Um, earlier this week, uh, one NASCAR driver took exception with the track at Phoenix Raceway, and Denny Hamlin is the driver. He made it clear he was not a fan of how the track raced over the weekend. After starting from the number two spot, Hamlin ended up finishing 13th in that race. So it could be a case of him just being upset about the start that he's had to his season because this is not the only race where Denny Hamlin has run into issues. Uh, however, he did make a point uh, to call out the sticky stuff that forced uh, forced the track into a one-lane track. Hamlin went on to say that the sticky stuff on the track made the race like one long train. Uh, he's not the only one who was upset, though, uh, following a crash during the race. Coyle Joyce team. Uh, received a significant suspension. After suspensions were handed down, Corey LaJoy uh, complained about the rule. Uh, and uh, let's talk about this. Uh, the rule was made to deter crew chiefs from telling the tire changers lug nuts and send it because it made the pit stop a second faster. Corey LaJoy said via NBC Sports, now you're going to suspend the crew chief for four races uh, for what the right front tire changer thinks they're getting, when, even when they think they're getting it tight. So perhaps NASCAR and Phoenix Raceway will take their complaints to heart. Well, time's going to tell the rest of that story. Uh, but there's a couple of complaints here, uh, not just from Denny Hamlin, uh, but from Coyle Joy on the lug nuts here as well. So, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts about uh, these complaints from the drivers? Well, the oh. first one, uh, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, I should say, mention uh, Andy Lasky's uh, comment was, I uh, wouldn't have said that if he had won. Uh, and then he called, he, he said hack. So, um, what are your thoughts, Jay? Yeah, and this one, I I actually was kind of looking for Mike's uh, comments. He didn't have any. I don't know if he got a chance to see it or not. I know he, as you mentioned, he's been very busy, um, hasn't been able to be on the last couple shows. But the to me, that on the surface anyway, does appear to be a little bit of sour grapes. If Kyle Busch were to have been the one that made these comments. Everybody would be like, oh, you're just whining. You didn't. 
so I do kind of feel it is like that. However, uh, this was one where I was waiting for Mike to say whether or not he thought it was a good race. And I wasn't able to be in the chat room throughout the race. It did get a little strung out. I don't know if I would call it one lane like Denny Hamlin did. Um, there was passing, but it, it was picking them off one at a time. You didn't see any major runs to the front, I guess. Um, but that, too, I don't know that you could blame that on the resin. I'm not a driver. I wasn't out on the track, so I can't answer that question. Um, but I think it is one of those of as we learn, especially with the new car, to see how it is moving forward when we return there um, for the championship race. But I certainly didn't feel like it was one lane lockdown. You couldn't pass at all. I think maybe it was just it didn't match up with Denny Hamlin's car. Now, as far as Corey LaJoy, that I, I, I have a tough time with. I understand what the NASCAR rule was as far as the lug nut issue, but anytime there's an issue with a part falling off the car, that's a safety issue, which comes down to they needed to um, have a penalty for it to ensure it don't happen, whether it's one lug nut or five lug nuts. I understand there are some issues in how the lug nuts with this single lug nut are working, especially on both sides of the car, since it's the, the opposite direction and the interlocking, that there are some issues, but these are the top teams for a reason. Y'all need to figure it out, uh, you know. And personally, I'm still not a big fan of the single lug nut overall. I, I don't think it's made that huge difference. And I find it ironic that cars with the next-gen car, this was supposed to look like your street production car, how many street cars do you see out there with only one lug nut? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good point. I think they were also trying to streamline the uh, the pit stops. Um, and I haven't seen any stats on this and whether or not those pit stops are actually faster with the one lug nut as opposed to uh, what it was with the five lug nuts. But we had issues with the five lug nuts too. Uh, and it was the same issues uh, because – Sometimes what happens when they're screwing those lug nuts in, uh, it feels like it's tight because there's a little piece of metal that gets into the groove. And that small piece of metal can actually make it lock up, if you will, uh, and feel like it's on there tight. But when that metal moves, once the car rolls off, the, rolls off uh, that metal can become dislodged, and that's when you find that it's not really tight. It's actually loose. So you're right. I do think that these guys have to figure that out. Um, you know, we also talked on Monday about the whole lug nut thing uh, with uh, the supplier uh, giving some legal as well as illegal lug nuts in a box, and all these teams happen to sort through the box to find the legal ones that they can use on the track. It's tedious. It's frustrating that they have to do that. I get it. Time. That's exactly what they have to do if they want to keep their car legal on the track uh, and not get these penalties. And, and this Ludna thing is a really important thing because it's dangerous if these cars lose a tire on the track. Um, uh, you know, one of these cars, if they hit a tire, uh, that's going to cause huge damage and take somebody out of the race 
for something that they should not have encountered uh, under these racing conditions. So I'll start with that one and just say I I think it is their job uh, to try to figure all of this stuff out. And if they feel like they need NASCAR to be involved in helping them figure it out, then get NASCAR involved in it. Uh, but NASCAR saying, uh, yeah, we know that those things happen, but that's your job to make sure that the illegal lug nuts do not get into this car. And it's your job to make sure that those lug nuts are tight. So um, they've, they've got to take some time to figure that out. As far as Denny Hamlin, I have to agree with you, Jay. It sounds like it's really sour grapes. Um, I, I, I do know that uh, it's always been difficult to pass at Phoenix Raceway. It's a one-mile track. You've got all these 40-some cars on this one-mile track, and it's more difficult to pass uh, when you have all those cars. There's usually some bumping and banging, and somebody usually leaves that track feeling a little bit grumpy. And that's that's what it sounds like from Denny Hamlin. It sounds like he's a little bit grumpy. Uh, we mentioned it in the earlier part of the show. He's had a really rough start to this season, for various and assorted reasons, some of which were not of his own control, but it's still, uh, he's, he's found himself in a hole, and now he's got to kind of find him, work his way out of it. I think he did a good job at Phoenix. Uh, yeah, he started in the number two position, uh, but he ended up being uh, pushed back and he was able to race his way up to that 13th-place spot. It's, it's never been easy to pass at Phoenix Raceway. Um, uh, and so, to me, that part of the racing is not really that much different. And uh, it's the same sticky stuff that they've always been using, as far as I know. Uh, I don't know. Have you heard that they used something different this time, Jay? Uh, it I, I don't think, actually, Pardon me? Actually, it, it is a little bit different. Uh, this was resin versus the other previously referred to as sticky stuff was either, I don't remember what it was, PJ1. The there is some, yeah, PJ1, and there's another name for it. I do know that there was a difference between it with what they, what they now call the resin, but that, too, is something that all the other drivers had to deal with. Why do we only have exactly. one driver complaining about it? <laughs> and I always default to that when I think about things like this. When when you've got 40 drivers and only one of the 40 are complaining about it, um, you know, I, you kind of have to really put it into perspective. Now, maybe some other drivers weren't happy with it either, but they were not as unhappy about it as uh, apparently Denny Hamlin was which compelled him to say something about it. Um, if we heard more drivers complaining about it, I might take it a little bit more seriously. Uh, but when you look at getting Hamlin's situation, uh, I think that has a lot to do with how he felt about the, the racing at Phoenix. Uh, to me, I didn't see it to be all that much different, Jay. Did you, did you find the racing to be all that much different than what it's been in the past there? Well, maybe, like I said, maybe a little bit that it was, but I attribute that, attribute that to the new car. 
Um, I mean, there were some right. drivers that obviously made it work, uh, Ryan Blaney being one of them. I mean, he stormed through the field a couple of times. Now, when you, exactly. when you talk about that resin, um, no matter what it is, what they're putting down, how they work the track, sometimes it's natural things in the track. The seams at different tracks we've talked about, the bump in the corner uh, at Las Vegas. Okay, everybody knows it's there. You know how you got to hit it. You know, yes, you can't mm-hmm. necessarily put your tires right on it um, and get grip, especially going into the corner or coming out when you try to get back to the throttle coming out of the corner. Everybody else adapted to it, either run two tires above it, four tires above it, not on it. So, yeah, I don't really see that as a, as a valid issue. Um, if, if it was a little bit more strung out, I kind of, like I said, put that all to uh, – Adjusting to the new car. Uh, there you go. Yeah, thank you. I totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, of, of that. <laughs> so that I have confidence that's going to grow um, throughout the year. Going back mm-hmm. to uh, Randy LaJoy, uh, sorry, uh, Corey LaJoy and the lug nut, the one thing I found interesting, and I don't think I put it up on the topics list here, I think it was two weeks ago at, uh, at Auto Club or um, Las Vegas during the broadcast, I heard Joe Gibbs Racing does no longer allows their Cup Series pit crews to pit in the Xfinity Series or Truck Series. They don't want them jumping back and forth between the one lug nut and the five lug nut, where in the past they used to allow it, and other teams still are. But Joe Gibbs Racing's teams are not allowed to do that of work both the one lug nut and five lug nut teams. Yeah, I think that's a smart decision. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I think that uh, uh, a lot – this had a lot more to do with the new car than it did with the resin itself, honestly. Uh, and I go back to Eric Jones uh, when, you know, I, I remember this so vividly at Chicago Land Speedway when everybody was complaining about the bumps over in turn three. And you guys have heard me say this before. Uh, everybody was saying it was really a challenge. Uh and I asked Eric Jones, who ended up winning the race, about the, those bumps over in turn three. And he said, it's my job, car driver, it's my job to figure that out and what is the best way to get through that. So I, you, you kind of have to say the same thing about Denny Hamlin. That's your job to figure that out as a race car driver. These are premier race car drivers. And I think when you have a driver like that that is whining or complaining about something, now, it's different when you're giving constructive feedback, but when you've got the same driver who's made similar complaints and it kind of becomes a a whining drone of, you know, different things that they're complaining about, uh, it, it starts to to sound more like uh, sour grapes, if you will. These are premier drivers, and that takes away from you as a premier driver in a premier series when you complain about the conditions of the track. You and every other driver on that track has to figure it out. What is the best way to deal with that situation? Because like you said, Every driver on that track has to deal with that same situation. So can you be the first driver to figure it out and to take advantage of what you figured out on how to deal with that? 
um, it's your job. And, you know, at the time, Eric Jones was a brand-new race car driver uh, coming into NASCAR's top three, and and he had it figured out that that was his job already when you had other drivers that were all complaining about it. Some were also new, but some of them were also veterans. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like stop your whining and figure it out because – all the energy that you're spending on the whining uh, could be spent on trying to figure it out. Uh, so uh, nothing against Denny Hamlin as a person. This has to do with the, what, what we're dealing with uh, as he's coming up with these complaints. So uh, it's just another way to look at this situation in a more positive way, I think, uh, that can help you get better results versus the whining and crying. So just some other thoughts there. Anything else that you want to say on that? Yeah, I, and, and I think it parallels then of the rough start to the season he's had. You, we mentioned it. Yeah. He's not having the best start to it, to the season. So I'm sure that's compounding it, but I do think he needs to, like you said, kind of gather it up and, uh, press on rather than, than try and point the finger at different things like that. Yeah, I think it's wasted energy <laughs> uh, that way. So I'm, I'm glad um, that it was up there, but uh, I think we can go ahead and move on, Jay. <laughs> All right. Well, how about a hot topic of what time it is? We'll start there. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Are we there already? <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs> we, are coming, we are coming up to the 1030 time frame, and we typically go off the air at exactly 1030 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but because we uh, also have this available as a podcast, uh, we continue to record the conversation past that 1030 mark so that uh, you as listeners can hear the rest of that conversation on our podcast. Uh, We like to make this alert uh, at this time of the night, especially for those people that are tuning in for the first time, uh, just so you won't be caught off guard with what happened to the show and how do I hear what what, uh, took place after 1030. Uh, I'll go out on Twitter to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you just go to the podcast player at fanforacing.com and fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. There's also the podcast radio as part of our Fan for Racing radio network. Uh, but uh, it's real easy to go to fanforacing.com and use the player there. So that's what I would recommend. Uh, but watch for my my tweet to let you know that the podcast is available. Okay, Jay. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one up we had there. Uh, I know we kind of talked about it a couple of times, but they did have another update. College Racing and Front Row Motorsports lose their penalty appeals. And I know Front Row Motorsports uh, was not going to do a final appeal to the single judge or whatever. Um, the funny thing about this is throughout all of it, we hadn't really heard about, because I mentioned it once or twice, that College Racing had even filed theirs from Daytona, but they apparently yeah. had, and it also was denied. Um, that fall, 
that falls into kind of the same boat where Corey LaJoy is at right now um, with the issue they had. Theirs was the hub coming apart. Uh, so I, uh, I'll let you go first, I guess, Sharon, but uh, theirs was denied as well. Exactly. Um, again, I'll go back to what I said when we were first talking about it, uh, and that is that I think there are some adjustments that the drivers need to make to their driving style with this next-gen car. And I think that hub, I think, is an example of that because I remember uh, Justin Haley getting out of the car and saying that he was doing some things with the brake or the clutch or something uh, that he might have impacted uh, what happened with his car. So um, I think that that's something that a lot of these drivers are going to have to take a look at in order to minimize some of these things that are happening. Now, can NASCAR look at things to make it sturdier? Sure they can. Um, But again, when you've got 40 cars on the track and only one of those cars has a hub fall apart, uh, it very well could be an isolated situation that has to do with the driver's driving style. So uh, you didn't have, you know, 20 hubs coming off of 20 different cars. Uh, to make it a NASCAR issue, uh, I think this comes down to a driver issue. Um, and, and not that they're a bad driver, it's just the driving style with the old style car uh, and adjustments that have to be made with the new car that they're dealing with. Um, as far as front row motorsports in the 38, they had the tire come off. And again, uh, that's never a good thing. Um, again, I, I, we've been talking about it. All of these teams have the same thing that they're dealing with, and it's up to these premier racing teams to figure it out. It, it goes back to the same thing we said with Coriola Joy. So I think NASCAR did the right thing by upholding these penalties. Uh, they, they wanted things to be more in the hands of the race teams. Well, this is an example of it being in your hands, and you need to do the things that you need to do to make it work. So um, that's kind of where I stand on it, Jerry. How about you? Yeah, in both of these uh, of that, I think there may be at least enough cause for for the teams to have gone and appealed it. Um, I don't say they were trying to get away with something with the no, illegal lug so. nuts. You know, there. Yeah, we found out there was a distributor problem. Now. Should they have checked all of them? Apparently so. But, again, it got some attention. Hopefully that problem fixes itself as these teams say, hey, we're just not going to buy from you no more or, hey, whatever they need to do with the distributor. With the case of Colleague Racing and that hub coming uh, apart, I understand what you're saying. There are some things that could play into it um, as far as the, the setup on the car, the way they were driving it. So, yeah, there is some validity there. But also – when I think about it, this one's a little a little tougher. I, there again, I, I immediately expected them to appeal. I, I still don't understand why we never actually heard anything that they had appealed, but now we're hearing it was denied. Um, that kind of throws mm-hmm. me for a loop. But I think about it this way. If you have something in the engine that lets go, it's a parts failure. Okay, This was a parts failure uh, with the hub. The fact that it becomes a safety issue has come off the car, and that's a, listed as a penalty per NASCAR. 
being that it you don't know that it was something they did or caused, I understand why they did at least appeal it for that first step um, because that, the, the, it appeared anyway that the rim just was a weak rim or whatever that it came apart. Now, the fact that you said Justin Haley said, hey, the way I was driving it, the way we had the, the camber or something set up in it might have caused it, well, he should have kept his mouth shut if they were appealing because that didn't go in their favor. <laughs> but, um, you know, you know and, and I think back to we talked about it the other night, uh, and I don't remember what cam or some, uh, cam something that Matt Kenseth got from the TRD that was illegal. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so same thing of, yeah, they tr- they trusted in TRD to give them something quality, didn't happen. I don't know if on the rims, if you can tap on them or, you know, see cracks in them or something to know for sure it's solid. You know, unfortunately, it just happens. Um, and in this case, if that happens, it is a penalty. So, uh, you know, I, I applaud them for appealing it and saying, hey, it wasn't our fault, it, you know, or at least trying to project that. They said no. If they just said okay and, and let it go, I wouldn't have been upset by it either. Uh, I guess I kind of feel like, you know, that was a, t- a tough call for NASCAR to make in that case. Yeah, it probably was. And, and uh, you know, all these teams, uh, you know, especially in the beginning of this next year, car, uh, are going to uh, appeal these things until they – you know, finally realize uh, that they are responsible for the materials that go onto that car. So there are some uh, standard parts and pieces that uh, everybody gets. And in a lot of respects, it is going to be the luck of the draw. But at the same time, that's your job to inspect those pieces to make sure that everything's right. If you find something that's not right and you take it back to NASCAR, uh, they can get it fixed or uh, give you the permission to fix it or whatever uh, and still be able to use it but uh, or take it back to the vendor and get your money back. But your job is to be inspecting those pieces to make sure that they are correct and right and that there aren't any issues. And sometimes it's just not going to be visible and you're not going to know it until it happens on the track. Uh, and that would be, uh, in the case of the driver issue, uh, not that it's a bad thing. It's just a driving style that he has to adapt to a different car. So, uh, I, you know, those things are going to happen. And unfortunately, it's the luck of the draw over who might get that one part that might have an issue with it. But at the same time, it's your job to try to catch it before it gets onto the car. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a sticky situation, but it is what it is, if you will. Yeah, hopefully hopefully we do see less and less of this uh, as the year progresses. Again, as teams, if, if it's something they're doing and causing, realize it, adjusting the driving style or, again, the setup on the car. I know camber is a big issue. The tire pressures they're running, I know we've mentioned that, of of that might be part of the some of the things causing issues. So, Teams are going to have to figure it out. As you've said several times, these are the premier teams at the top level. Figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's why they get the big bucks. Okay. Um, Some updates. Uh, I'm going to move on to another hot topic here. 
Uh, Bob Pankratz yep. uh, put out an update uh, indicating that in the rules bulletin yesterday, NASCAR changed the rule that teams could choose to replace a chassis after it was used as a primary for three years, for three races. Um, it's going to be determined at this point, the number of races. And the reason for that, I think, and he's saying it too, is because of the parts uh, and supply distribution uh, um, delays that are happening within NASCAR and around the globe for that matter. So uh, until they get this supply chain thing uh, back in line and on a regular basis, uh, they're going to allow these teams to go ahead and replace the chassis after it was used as a primary uh, beyond three races uh, on, until they can get the supply chain thing fixed. So what are your thoughts about that, Jay? Well, well, here's what I was trying to figure out, okay? Um, it said it would be my guess until everyone has the full fleet. Being that they said it, that they could after three races, now they're going to say, hey, you have to use it four or five, so they're actually going to make it longer? Or were they allowing it to maybe be less? The way he has it written, I'm assuming that that number is going to go up, um, that you have to use the same chassis four or five times, to make sure they're not burning through them because not everybody has that full fleet of seven. I believe seven is what the, the max number is. Am I, am I correct in that? Well, no, I think that it was three races was the max. And then because no, but, they were having supply chain issues, they opened it up. Okay, and and this is my understanding. If If I'm wrong, please correct me. The goal was you could have seven chassis, and then after oh, three chassis. races, if you wanted to, right? That's the what he's calling the full fleet. You could you could have you couldn't mm-hmm. have more than seven chassis. If after three races you wanted to replace one of them, you got rid of one, got a new one. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm saying now they're saying okay, you can't get rid of it until after four or five races because we can't even get everybody to have a full field of seven or what. And I say, for some reason, seven is sticking in my head of that was the, the max they could correct. have. It's, okay. it's to accommodate um, the different types of tracks that they race on the short track car, you know, the super speedway car, the intermediate track car, the road course car and so on. Um, right. And to last them throughout the season. And, and I think that is a good thing. Uh, you know, we talked about this, uh, you know, and I know Mike was questioned of what NASCAR would do of if they would allow certain teams to build up their full fleet and others not. This is how they're saying, hey, you're not going to get any more until everybody has the same amount. So I like that. If that's their intent, what they're doing, obviously, if they th- feel the cars can make it through more than three races. I know we went through this with the sealed engine deal a few years back in, in the truck series in the Xfinity. Um, I think it's a good step that they're taking to keep that parity, make sure that everybody at least has the same thing. Now, it's still a matter of I'm impressed with the teams that do it. You know, Hendrick Motorsports, and I'll just take them as, a, as the example, a top team. Yes, they have four teams. If they can get them, they're going to have seven cars for each of those four teams. Um, because they have those resources. 
and have them like you said. It's a short track car. It's a super speedway car, road course, road course car. There are teams out there that they say, we have one car. <laughs> it is our road course car. It's our super speedway car. It's our intermediate. It's our short. You know, that's what impresses me, and we're seeing them be more competitive with it, um, at least here in the short term in these first few races. So I like the direction all of this is going um, with that. Uh, and we've seen, I mean, we saw it with uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, the 18. It was a parts car. It wasn't Kyle Busch's car. It actually was Denny Hamlin's. It was a parts car. didn't have an engine in it. They got it ready. Uh, I don't remember how long they said, overnight, nine hours or something. But they were able to put it together and race, and he almost won the race with it. You know, so that tells me these these cars can be done that way. Um, I like the fact that they, NASCAR is limiting it and, you know, trying to level the entire playing field across the board. Did I go away? I'm sorry. I was on mute. Uh, okay. It, I was going to say, I think normally, of, if, normally if, you get, if you get lost, I get lost because it kicks us all off then. <laughs> no. Um, what I was saying, though, is that it kind of takes me back to the whole Denny Hamlin conversation that we just had. You've got teams out there that are making kind of amazing things happen with this next-gen car because they're focusing all of their energy onto solving the problem. <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, that's, that's – and as an industry – there, everybody's kind of in that same boat as well. Uh, so uh, I, I think that these teams that are making some of these amazing things happen with this next-gen car under some difficult situations just kind of speaks to the fact that that's how the cream rises to the top. You've got people who are problem solvers, and they're out there looking for the solution versus complaining about the situation. So I, I think that's, that's that it's just a perfect uh, back back uh, picture, if you will, uh, to the whole situation there with Denny Hamlin for me, because uh, it just illustrates our point even that much more of how he needs to be focused on helping the team come up with solutions because the time that he's spending on complaining is taken away from what he could be contributing to finding the solution. So just excuse my back step there, but it just seems to tie in uh, so well here um, because we are seeing teams that are doing that and they're doing a, a really remarkable job with it. I I don't think I could say it any better. I mean, yeah, it's one of those if if you have the money and can buy eight, ten, twelve cars, but if teams are getting it done with two and still running uh running with you, you know, maybe you don't need to be spending that money. So uh definitely mm-hmm. a, a lesson that can be learned there and I think that was the entire goal of this next gen car and why we're seeing new ownership come into the sport, which is growing the sport. So like I said, I see it as a positive. NASCAR's got their uh, finger on the pulse and, and doing what they can to help out by changing that limitation or that adjustment um, and not letting it, letting it go where, okay, if you're Hendrick or Joe Gibbs, you get to build seven cars, and even while these other teams can't get enough together to put three or whatever together. So mm-hmm. I, I like it. Yeah, I do too. 
uh, for all the reasons that you said as well. And, and you know, the thing that, one of, that we've really enjoyed about this season is that we're seeing new names up at the front. And we said it to begin with that we, uh, uh, no, I felt that uh, the, um, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I've always felt that the, the new drivers who are going to adapt to this new car a lot more quickly than the drivers that are the veterans because they've had more time to develop habits uh, with this old car uh, that are maybe not going to work with this new car, and they're going to have to change things up to be more competitive. Uh, and, and some of the veteran drivers are doing it uh, and, and excelling, uh, but some of them are not. So uh, I, think, I think that uh, NASCAR is doing the right thing here, and we wanted to see new names up in that top ten, and, and we are seeing that. Uh, when you can have a, a Chase Elliott, or not Chase Elliott, a Chase Briscoe, come up with his first win as a rookie. Well, he, he is a rookie in the Cup Series. No, he's not a rookie. No, uh, second year, year Briscoe. Yeah, but he yeah remember he, Andy, Andy followed him all through his rookie year last that's year. That's right. Cindric won as a so, rookie this year. That's right. It's He's not a rookie anymore, but he's in his sophomore season, and it's still an amazing feat for him to win uh, the way he did. Uh, he beat some really good drivers, and um, uh, don't, I get excited about seeing things like that happen. Uh, Cole Kester uh, getting his win. Uh, it's all exciting to watch all of that happen. And it's what NASCAR is doing with these cars that I think that's kind of helping to make that happen. And some teams are going to rise uh, to the top a lot more quickly than other teams. Uh, and, again, I think it all comes down to are they focused on complaining or are they focused on coming up with the solution? And I think that's, a, that's making a huge difference on who's rising and who's not. So, Okay. Anything more you want to say there, Jay? Well, you, you mentioned it uh, of new winners. We, I know during our preview we talked about it at Atlanta of, of first-time winners. Uh, the, the top three, Tyler Reddick, Ch- Ross Chastain, and Chase Briscoe, uh, not necessarily rookies, but young drivers are in an in a opportunity where they're in a race winning, getting that first win. Those were the top three battling it out. That You're right. That mm-hmm. excites me. That gets me excited about the series. So, okay, um, let's go ahead and uh, move on here. Uh, is this all one subject? Okay, I guess the question is the monkey wrench on Friday's practice and and everything. That there's a possibility that it's going to get rained out, and uh, uh, I know that uh, sometimes when there's rainouts like this, we go to the metric qualifying process. Um, what are your thoughts about that for this weekend? Well, and, and there's two things. The one above it, too, I'll tie in, although it's not applicable to Atlanta, but the question of if practice gets rained out on Friday, do they give practice on Saturday and skip qualifying? And then whether or not the metric system or format would be used to determine the lineup if they don't do qualifying. 
Um, and I know Mike here, we had went back several. First off, I do believe that they would, as they have in the past, especially with the new car, new track, practice is going to be most important, not qualifying. Yes. So I do think they would skip qualifying, go to practice. Now, how they determine the lineup, I don't see why they would go away from what they've been using, that metric uh, format. And from what I've seen of the projected lineups, that is what they would use. Whether we like that, agree with it or not, that's what they've been using over the past two years when we didn't have qualifying. I don't see them going away from it now. So that's what I would anticipate. Go with practice, which I fully agree with that. Give these teams and um, get that track time um, versus one lap versus a practice session. Uh, I think is really huge here at Atlanta. The the one above that I, that I was going to tie in um, was the use of rain tires. Obviously, like I said, mm-hmm. Atlanta, they're not going to go with that anyway, but NASCAR did make a change to that if we want to tie that in at the end. Okay. Um, wh- how did they change it? Just so I can speak to it. Okay, uh, okay, that it used to be team. when they said the track is right when the track is wet, you had to put the rain tires on. After it started to dry, it was at your discretion to change back to the dry tires, the slick tires, if you wanted. Uh, Bob Pocker has tweeted that they're no longer going to say, "Hey, you have to put the rain tires on because we're calling it a wet track." It's at the team's discretion all the way. If it's sopping wet and you decide to run the slicks, that's your decision. They'll send the tow truck out. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Just to, so there's no more damp declaration prior to the race and no more mandate on rain tires. Okay. So um, let's address the first thing first. I have to agree with everything you said, Jay. Uh, that's been the standard operating procedure. I mean, they've been using the metric system um, for two years now. So it makes sense that they would continue to use that. And even before that, if there was a rain out of the qualifying, uh, there was a process that they had for determining the starting lineup. Uh, That process uh, is now the metrics uh, system. So I I would anticipate that they would do that. And I 100% agree that practice is more important than the qualifying at this point. Uh, and it's better uh, that they get that 15 minutes of practice time uh, than they use that time for qualifying uh, if it's a matter of logistics with the track. So I don't see any reason why it would be any different for this race. Um, uh, I would anticipate it to be exactly that way. As far as the mandating of tires and not no longer mandating uh, slicks or or uh, wet tires uh, if it's raining. Uh, The drivers have been asking for this. They want things more in their own hands. Well, this is something that's up to your team, your crew chief. Uh, Another thing that is a decision, it's kind of like be careful what you ask for because now all these decisions are yours and you can't blame NASCAR 
if, if you don't get it right. So I think NASCAR is doing the right thing. Uh, they wanted more autonomy in these things, and, and now they've got it. You get to decide when you put your switch on and when you put your wet tires on. And uh, each, every team's going to do it according to what they think is the right thing for their team and for their driver. And uh, if it doesn't work, it's not NASCAR's fault. You made the decision. So I think they're doing the right thing there. Um, now, somebody's going to try to push that to the limit and whatever. But uh, like you said, in, in some of those decisions uh, that aren't uh, the right decision, uh, you're going to end up with a tow truck coming up to pick up your car. Anything you want to add, Jay? Yeah, I was looking through here uh, to hit on Mike's. I know with the, with the decision of practice, uh, he said – I'd say it's extra important this weekend with all the unknowns at the play, at this place um, to go with practice over qualifying. So we all agree with that. Uh, he's the one that asked about if qualifying canceled, would they use that metric format like they have the past two years or go back to the owner's points like they did back in the day. And here's where I think with this metric system, that's helping your part-time teams. We still have the 36 charter teams it helps those part-time teams that have the good runs, especially recently, uh, versus owner points for ones that have maybe showed up to every race, finished last in every race, but at least had the points, that, that helps offset that a little bit. It still helps them if they're there every week, but it doesn't guarantee them or lock them in. So I think that's why they're going to stick with the metric, and we've seen it when they do the practice groups, as we've seen um, the previous uh, races, they're still using that metric format in determining how to divide up the groups as far as practice groups. So it's still in play. I don't see them going away from it. Going with the putting the decision on tires into the team's hands. As a fan, I like it. it like you said, it puts it in the team's hands, their decision. You see different strategies. Um, could be very interesting. The only thing I look at, and I think it was Tony Stewart who said it once when it had to do with, I can't remember what it had to do with, but he said sometimes NASCAR ha is there for a reason. They have to protect drivers from themselves, protect the teams from themselves. I like the idea, but the first time somebody gambles and puts the slicks on when it's super wet and they go sliding off and, and hit really hard, that's a safety issue you know, that NASCAR maybe does need to mandate that. Um, we'll have to see how it plays out. Hopefully the teams are smart enough to say, hey, we don't want to put our our driver, our car, whatever in danger. But if they do think they can be the first one and get away with it, you're going to see somebody gamble on it. So it would be a matter of, of how reckless it gets um, that NASCAR has to, like I said, protect the teams from themselves. If if they're going to gamble on it, but it's going to cost them big in a car or an accident, yeah, maybe you've got to take that option away from them. Exactly. And and I've said this before, too. Am I on mute? Can you hear me? No, you're good. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Yeah, I've said this before, too. Uh, the rules are sometimes put in place because you've got somebody who's abused it, uh, abused having the uh, uh, choice. So that's something that these teams need to keep in mind as well, is when they are in these situations, 
you've got to look at the bigger picture. And I know we say it all the time, drivers can be selfish, but when you think about the bigger picture, uh, if you are that selfish uh, and the, the rule has to be put in place because of something that you did, you can't complain about it later if you follow what I'm saying. Um, rules are put in place because people do abuse things. And uh, so NASCAR is giving, giving these guys a chance to make their own decisions, which is what they like, uh, but don't abuse it because uh, the rule will come if it comes to a safety issue uh, for people at the track. So uh, that's a very good point, Jay. And uh, I hope that these guys use good judgment when making these decisions. The, the one that comes immediately to mind, being that we just discussed it with Atlanta Motor Speedway, and they're using a red and white, uh, we'll, we'll have to hit that one come Monday. Um, but putting a line in effect of keeping the apron from the racing surface. At Phoenix, mm-hmm. it works. Talladega Super Speedways, it doesn't. They're afraid of what it might do because they don't know yet at Atlanta, so they are implementing that. That's one of those, if that rule isn't there, drivers will do it knowing it could cause a big problem, but they do it anyway Mm -hmm. because they think they can gain that advantage. So there are times when NASCAR does have to say, hey, we're just not going to allow it. And like I said, Mm -hmm. we'll hit that uh, line issue again on Monday. Well, like you said, protecting, protecting the drivers from themselves. Okay, we are really coming, we're at that 10 o'clock time frame, or the 9, the uh, 11 o'clock time frame, I guess it is. So it is time for us to uh, kind of wind this up. Jay, it's been great working with you here tonight. It's been just you and me, but we've covered a lot of ground here, and uh, I've had a good time. So thank you for being here and uh, being available for the Hot Topic Sound Off segment here tonight. Um, Also, a big shout-out to our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in, whether it's the podcast or the live broadcast. uh, We appreciate you taking time to hear what we have to say. And then also to our guest, Christian Rose. We had a a very nice conversation with Christian Rose uh, during the 9 o'clock time frame. That's the second half hour of our show. And uh, uh, we're looking to have him back again throughout the season uh, and kind of follow his season in the Arkham Menard series. And he told us tonight he's hoping to brace across all three, Arca, uh, Arca East and Arca West, uh, throughout the season. So we'll have a lot to talk about with Christian Rose uh, throughout his uh, season this year. Um, so if you haven't heard it, uh, go back and listen to it. On Monday night, uh, we had two guests. Uh, well, actually, we ended up with one. Uh, we were supposed to have uh, uh, Zachary Chinkle, who we did have, uh, and we had a great conversation with him during that second half hour. And Jacob Gomes was supposed to be on at 9.30 during the third half hour of the show. And unfortunately, his wife was expecting a baby, Uh, I guess they had a false alarm on uh, Monday night, but they were at the hospital, uh, and uh, that's why he wasn't able to be on the show. So uh, we've rescheduled Jacob uh, to be on the show this coming Monday night, 
during that third half hour, along with Tanner Rice uh, from the Southwest uh, SRL series. So uh, we'll have the two guys there um, that are going to be on the show and definitely looking forward to uh, – actually, Tanner Rice is with the ARCA West with Bob Brunkati. Uh, let me make that correction. He's with Sunrise Ford and Bob Rucani. He's going to be on at the 9 o'clock time frame. And Jacob Gomes, who's with the SRL Southwest Touring Series, is going to be on at the 9.30 half hour. So um, that's our upcoming guest. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, next week. So I'm looking forward to the racing this weekend. And, Jay, what are you uh, going to be doing. I didn't do our round table. I just went right into the close. <laughs> well, that's all right. Got to, to got to talk about our guests coming up, and uh, we've got a great list of that. Um, if you're in the area around here, you got a ton of options. Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city racing raceway, is racing. Unfortunately, I won't be there as I am traveling to the other side of Atlanta uh, to Livonia Speedway for the ultimate street stock challenge uh, new organization I'm working with this year. Uh, Magnolia motor speedway, I believe is racing Talladega short track. The Hornets nest is racing. And I believe why not motorsports park is looking to race again this weekend. Uh, House of hook with uh, Chris Crichton uh, on the mic. So you're in this area, uh, weather permitting, we've got to hope for that weather holdout, but uh, a lot of racing going on. Hopefully, uh, like I said, tomorrow I'll be traveling to uh, to the other side of Georgia. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. and you can follow well, me on, on that. Uh, mine is uh, Michael Hoosman on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I will be doing the interview feeds that I get off of the Ultimate Street Stock Challenge page and then sharing onto mine. So check out the Ultimate Street Stock Challenge page. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Jay. We really appreciate it. Safe travels to you this weekend. And uh, with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. We'll be back on air next Monday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Salsa Gala and myself. All right. Enjoy Good night. And enjoy the racing weekend. There you yeah, go. Absolutely. <laughs> Good night, everybody.
Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.